Hey everyone, we've been recording episodes very far in advance due to the quarantine giving us some extra time. Because of that, we recorded this episode in Collision Course months ago, before the horrific anti-Asian American hate crime shootings in the Atlanta area. We have plenty to say here about how this hate has been going on for a long time, and how shitty racist movies like Collision Course help perpetuate racist sentiments in the second half of this episode. We mostly just talk trash about Jay Leno in the first half. In lieu of doing our usual Patreon plugging, I'd like to try something else for our 250th episode. Please donate what you can to help the victims' families. In the show notes, you can find a link to an article where they are listed individually with links to help out these families that are sorely in need of help. As well, there are plenty of charities doing great work to help out Asian Americans locally and across the country. Links are in the article as well. Maybe find one that fits your locality or speaks to your heart. Thanks for listening. We love you all. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We have to watch regrets to inform you that we have been replaced by Jay Leno's Garage. Peter! Aaron! I think it alternate episode. <laughs> it's not our last. It's the it's the beginning of the end of the beginning. It is okay. episode two hundred and fifty. I literally and figuratively can't believe it. Uh, this episode two fifty, Peter. Two hundred and fifty episodes. It's something to celebrate with the fact that you and I uh, were dedicated enough to the task to complete. <laughs> it's something to mourn for, I think, the culture. Because think about all the podcasts that have stopped recording once they heard us. They were like, we can't do better than that. I think what's more concerning is how many better podcasts quit for logistical reasons or scheduling reasons. And we just keep soldiering on. In that sense, we are like the Jay Leno, you know, the workhorses who were <laughs> we are to just come to work every day. Just get it done. Can you imagine if Jay Leno was like in a podcast situation where uh, he couldn't be fired by the network because there was no network? He guest hosts on Scott Ackerman's podcast. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, then now it's now it's just his. It's comedy. Bang. Yeah. So Scott, you're you're turning forty five next year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your. I'm gonna take your show. I'm gonna take it. It'll be my show now. It's going to be about cars, mostly. Uh, yeah, so we're, this is episode 250. Surprise episode in the middle of our Leone month. Uh, and why did we decide to make this our 250? Well, we do have a... We are We Love to Watch. We're a movie podcast. We normally pick a theme, which we're in the middle of right now with Leone month in April. And do uh, movies around that theme for a month. Uh, and for our, for our anniversary episodes, we tend to move away from our idea of, I think... <laughs> talking about movies we love and instead pick the movie that has somehow become a running joke or something related to a movie that's become a running joke on our podcast over the last year and do and do something related to that and um i say that because uh there's so many this is this is going to be a little bit of like really up our own ass but there's so many if you go back and listen to our old episodes peter We've been on for long enough that there's so many running jokes that I forgot that we had. I, I remember – I mean, some I remember. I remember when every episode we were doing in New York, accent asking about pizza slices. Um, I remember for two years where we did games before 
every episode. Um, I, yeah, we revived it briefly. I think like a year or two ago. And no, we we like, do it like for like a joke or something very specific. But we we essentially stopped doing them for time. Yeah, um, we we the episodes are somehow getting longer. <laughs> They are getting longer. I also think when people say, you guys have gotten better at this over the years, I think whether they subconsciously or consciously, they're referring to the part that they don't have to listen to uh, 20 minutes of to, to an hour of unrelated bullshit before we start talking about uh, before we start talking about the movie, even though some of those were 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 kind of fun. But and there's some stuff like, do you remember that we, we used to have uh, a regular segment called uh, Dick Talk, right? Dick Talk. Mm-hmm. And then we or changed it talk. to. And then we did Richard talk and there's so many little things that like I they, – they are so inside jokes. They're not just inside between people but inside between time. <laughs> like they are there. There's jokes that clearly we think are funny and I don't remember why it was funny or what the what the reference back to was. And uh, also this is entirely different from say uh, – I don't know. A, a, a scripted comedy show in that <sighs> – well, one, we're not funny, but two, um, <laughs> not like the scripts. A scripted comedy show has a room of writers hammering out the details, and then at the end of it, you can say, "Oh yeah, that was a really funny bit because you worked all week on it, and then you were able to deliver the bit." Right? Yep. Um, Tom Sharpling's bit uh, bits that he does a- a- every week on the podcast are super fucking funny because he hold on, works on hold them on. all week. I, you can finish your thought. I just want to say I'm glad you're educating us about comedy on the GNM <laughs> episode. Go ahead. For us, I say a thing and then I forget about it. And then one of one of two of us edits the show. And then I don't remember what actually goes into the published. Oh, yeah. Most of the time. Because because you're editing. Because I don't. Yeah. You have to listen to the whole thing. I, I never know if a long-running bit is going to actually stay in the episode. Well, and now over the last year and a half, we have been recording so far in advance and without any order that we don't know if our callbacks or call forwards. We don't know. And we've received some feedback sometimes that the show is confusing and hard to follow. Uh, and that it seems like it's jokes for just for us. And I just want to say to people that have listened to our podcast and feel that way, you're right. They are just for us. We do the show essentially for free. Uh, uh, in between other jobs, and we're very we're, we love our listeners. We can't believe that year over year our listenership has grown. But I do feel like that if you're listening and to the show, they are grown. They are grown. Most, yeah, most of our listeners started as babies and are now five years old. Um, this is weirdly also our five year anniversary episode because even though we've only we've done 250 episodes of. We love to watch. We, we've had those September months where we release our sidecasts, which we don't count towards the 250. But doing that has a lot, has a, literally aligned us so that it was the second or third week in April that our Flash Gordon episode um, uh, came out. And that just happens to be when this one's getting released based on all those other joke episodes or sidecasts that we do. So this is our five-year anniversary episode and our 250. Um, and yeah, we, we tend to- no numerology pick- podcast. To, yeah, it's also if you're a Taurus, this episode is going to be great for you. <laughs> um, if, if you're an Aries, <laughs> get out now. But I mean, if it's good to sit here, like our audience has grown. Like, look at year over year, 2020, which was a tough. I mean, 2020, especially. I mean, this is really getting into podcast logistics and stuff like that. But like, uh, 2020 really started as a dip because people stopped commuting, and, it, and you know, I kind of like went and into they started getting real. 
we started to get real. Um, and I, I, I think we kind of felt like even though we had grown listenership year over year, that 2020 was going to ultimately end up being a little bit of a down year due to the global pandemic. But uh, it, it wasn't. It was still it was still higher than 2019. Um, and we've gotten, you know, such great reviews. It, we, we get more of interactions from people that we, we don't know, um, outside of like film groups and other things where we've, you know, definitely started, uh, probably a lot of our first listeners were through that, uh, listened through there. Definitely a lot of our guests are, have been through there. Uh, and we met some great people, but it is, um, you know, it is fun that I think that this, this thing that Peter and I started, uh, you know, because we we felt like we had a you know uh, we we had a good chemistry and liked talking about movies together, and that maybe some other people would enjoy both our perspective and what we brought to the movies, and how we liked talking about movies, and how we liked experiencing movies, and and that people may like may like that. And ultimately, it was also just fun for us from a creative standpoint, and. Um, you know, again, this this is our two fifty. There is going to be a little bit of of us <laughs> congratulating ourselves a little bit, but it it is also just heartwarming that, like, I, Peter, you and I used to joke that if ten people listened each week, that would be fine with us because, um, uh, you know, we we enjoy doing this, and it was a good creative outlet for us, and also just a consistency, I think, too, in a in a time. You know, that with that, like, you know, these things that, like, I want to do writing or I want to do X or Y can be hard to repeat because it's just you that's making you do that every week. So, it's easy for you to give yourself a pass. It's harder when you have to send awkward texts to, at the time, someone you don't know that well and goes, I'm kind of sick. Can I not do the podcast? Please. I, I, I'm fine powering through, but I know we booked a guest. Uh, so, I, I think that that part of it has been really fun to the point that now when we do take, you know – month-long breaks or weeks-long breaks, it, it, you know, I start really getting antsy to get back in and watch the movies where I'm taking notes and, you know, kind of excited to talk about that stuff. So, it's it's been, it's been a, a ton of fun and the fact that, again, instead of the 10 people that we have, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of people listening to us each week uh, has been humbling as well. Yeah, yeah. It's been something I've actually been trying to keep my mind off of. Um, I'm like, because when we started, there were like 10 people listening, literally. Um, And the idea that people are not just listening to the episode of the week, but also are digging back in the backlog and that our episodes have weirdly long tails and people are like, (laughs) I like these guys. I want to scroll through the feed and find a movie that sounds interesting to to listen to them on. Which makes Um, sense, too, because like if you're finding a new podcast, you usually don't listen to their most recent episode. You start backwards and make your way through. And that's it's crazy that that happens and has happened week over week and clearly a lot of it is sticking i try not to think about it which is actually like the way that i've gotten through most of my life is uh <laughs> by feigning stupidity um and it's been working great for me because i've never been nervous about putting the show out um what i worry more about <laughs> is making sure that i'm expressing our humanism and making sure that we're being responsible with our, with our platform no matter how meager um yeah. and that and, and i feel like that's been a good guiding principle is to not make uh cheap jokes at uh minorities expenses or um taking a, a cheap way out because it would be easier for us but uh you, you, 
that being said, we're doing a movie called Collision Course today, and I think we're going to be doing <laughs> some real <laughs> right over the plate, <laughs> knock him out of the park style easy joke. Hold on, we'll get there. I I I do think that. Um, you know, we also like look back in the five years, like one of the reasons that Peter and I um, thought we could do this podcast was inspiration from a podcast that both of us really liked. We were also lucky enough to have uh, the host of, of that podcast on our show, one of the two hosts on our on our show uh, about a year and a half ago, which was, I think, a huge moment for us, Peter. Just very uh, surreal. Gary Butterfield from the Duck Feed Network, uh, his show with, with uh, Cole Ross. Uh, where they talked about uh, Bloodborne, which is the game that that caused Peter and I to be to become friends. The idea that we ended up having him on this show too uh, f- still feels surreal sometimes. Like I, I actually still have the raw files for those episodes, just because I I still feel like oh, it's so weird that I had um, I had this person on this show that we started uh, being inspired by them. So there's I I just feel like there's been so many good moments like that, and I will say it, to tackle what Peter said. I definitely pay a little more attention to the metrics and the reviews than Peter does. I'm not obsessively checking it, but once every few weeks I'll see, oh, did we get any new iTunes reviews? Uh, you know, how are our episodes looking on a weekly basis? And I feel like I always both surprise Peter with that information. And also, if it's positive information, he has no comment. If it's negative information, he also wants to move past as quickly as possible. Like I do, I we've never really talked about, it, but I do get the sense that you are not interested. T- only in the sense that, like, if something got a lot low listens because we fucked up in our posting, you would be interested to know from a technical perspective. But from a reception perspective, you have no interest in how the show is being received. Uh, more from anxiety purposes than for anything else. Yeah, yeah. I care. I care that people are listening. It matters to me. Like I like the idea that we're connecting with people. But it's not something where I'm we're greedily rubbing our hands together, waiting for our meal ticket to come in. Uh, what? Also, like I, I also like. It does. It does go back to an anxiety thing. Like I like I. Some part of me likes to pretend that's just you and me and people we know. But I'm very well aware now because of the wonderful reviews we've gotten and random Facebook comments and such. Like I'm very well aware that <laughs> that people listen to that we don't know in real life, and that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Also, I need to forget about it immediately <laughs> so I don't get nervous. <laughs> That's it, it is. Uh, yeah, there's been a, there's been more and more of that lately. And it is it is funny that those were things that I did not know about Peter that I've pieced together uh, just through like sharing. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do in, in 250 anniversary style. I'm going to do a legitimate first quiz. It's going to take 30 seconds. I think, you know, because I tell you. But Peter, do you. Do you know what our top three most listened to episodes of all time are? The uh, answer may surprise Fantastic you. Fantastic Planet? That's number two. Uh, number one, not Predator 2. Um, <laughs> Thankfully, no, because we never did the re-edit, and that is the worst sounding episode that we've ever done. Phantom of the Paradise? No, that's up there. That That's a very uh, well-listened-to episode. Um, no, number yeah, one. Number one is Sunshine. Oh, I forgot about that. Which is one of those weird organic... So, Fantastic Planet, we were lucky enough to have a link posted to our show on Cracked pretty early on. And so, as such, it it got, you know, thousands of listens. And that was that was awesome. That was huge for us. Um, Sunshine is, is an episode that I remember thinking was over long. 
and not fun. Like, it was good. I love the discussion. I think both of us like that movie. But we were just diving in headfirst to a lot of stuff. And I maybe it's just an underrepresented podcast, ep- like, movie. And a lot of people love it because it has slowly and steadily built beat Fantastic Planet. Number three is the most surprising to me. And I also think it's one of our worst episodes. And I feel terrible that it's number three. Um, not, our guest on it is lovely. Um... I just feel like we just all of us were so middling on it, and it's a we did a bad job editing because it was so early. It's not cabaret, cabaret. So here's let's pause there, and just as we go a little bit down memory lane, cabaret is a weird. I still think of cabaret as the worst episode we've ever done for for reasons that we've shared before. Uh, We we due to some delays, we watched the movie and didn't record for three weeks later, so it really was not fresh in our minds. We just you and I we were disconnected, and then it ended up sounding like one of those podcasts where you're like. Wait, you guys know you could have just not recorded, right? Yeah, and uh, neither of us were that enthused with the movie. Um, I think, like, you were sick, and I had to wake up at 3 in the morning to catch a flight, so I was... Uh, I wasn't, t- I wasn't like having any Diet Coke or I wasn't having a beer or anything like that. And I was like, just very focused on getting what I needed to say out and go to bed. And then we also did like what I think Rachel? is... Our- I just need. I'm going to read you this note. I just need you to listen to what I'm going to say. Here's the other thing, though, that makes it so bad. We did the worst. We because we would come up with those segments and those games at the beginning. I legitimately believe it's also our worst segment idea. Where since podcasts do fan mail things, we thought it'd be funny to read comments on our Facebook posts as if they were fan mail, and then respond to them as if they had been written to us and it is not like we never find the comedy in it we never find the thread because it was our we were barely over a year we still left it all in instead of scrapping it for being terrible and bad uh and confusing um and uh that episode which i still think is our worst is one of the few episodes that is called out specifically in an iTunes review as what made someone fall in love with our podcast so I don't fucking know anything, I guess, Peter. I'll give you a hint. It's the most embarrassing for you personally to have a B in our stats. Is it Krampus? No, it's Xanadu. <laughs> Xanadu! Oh, because it, my face is in it. Because you thought it was funny because you were so perplexed by the movie to take a picture of yourself, which was fine when it was just SoundCloud, but now Skype takes our individual pic- – or not Skype, um, Spotify takes our individual pictures. So on one of our most listened to episodes is you making a goofy face for the album cover art. I was expecting it to be funnier. <laughs> I, I was expecting it to be the Apple, right? We talked about that before, and it wasn't. So it was, it's long and it's boring and no one's positive. Brandon Lede was our guest. No one's positive on it. And it was t- we, we, we edited it down to two hours, which if it's a – if it's a, and somehow is our third most listened to episode. Peter, do you know taking into account recency bias right now, or we just posted one sometimes to take a little bit? Do you know what to this day is our least listened to episode? Just to prove we don't know fucking anything. Uh, Iron Man three. <laughs> no, Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> oh, which is is a classic. We let's watch movie right it's a cult movie it's i know weird. it's un- it's ungainly uh we were well at least you were super passionate about it like somehow peter in that month 
It was actually a well-listened to month. We did Sleepless in Seattle. You've got mail. That makes sense that those two are well-listened to. Our IQ house sitter, ep- or not house sitter, uh, a money pit episode has like twice as many listens as our Joe versus the Walking. And that was an episode where I was like, you, you were like, we have to do money pit and we have to do IQ. We have to do like, their failures as like when like, they're separated. I was yeah. like, yes, yes, sweetie. I'll, I'll watch the movies for you. I love you very much. <laughs> I didn't want to watch any of those movies even a little they bit. They were so there was so I'd never seen the Money Pit. IQ, which was a movie I remember being good on, was worse than the Money Pit. Or remember I, being it, positive on. It, it, uh, IQ is somehow somehow worse than the Money Pit, a movie where I think Tom Hanks uh calls his wife a whore. Oh my god. He fucking hates his wife. I really don't remember all that much about those movies because I hated I mean, we had to when you sometimes when we watch two movies in a in a uh, for a episode, it's just it's time consuming and it feels uh, tough in a way that one movie doesn't. I don't know why that is. We we definitely have free time that we devote to other movies, but when it's two movies that you have no interest in watching and are miserable watching, it's especially tough. But anyways, yeah, like a hundred more people have listened to that episode than our fucking Joe versus the Volcano episode. So I. I uh, I don't know. Well, one thing we've learned in five years is that we really don't know anything. Um, that sometimes we get things right, and sometimes like Sunshine does uh, thousands of more listens than an Alien episode in the same month or something like that. Um, so, what are we doing for? We've we've already alluded to it. Why are we doing this for two fifty? Again, we 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 try not to be a mad movie podcast, but we do think it's fun for our anniversary stuff to do movies that are outside of the realm of what we would normally talk about, which are, at least we try, good movies that we enjoy, and talk about movies that became, to us, a joke over the last year, or something related to that. And um, and also just to give it an assessment. Like, I think actually all of us, we Airbud became a joke, and we did that Airbud episode specifically because Peter kept telling the same Airbud story over and over and couldn't remember it. And then all of us uh, who were on that episode, Bridget, you and myself, uh, admitted to never seeing Air Bud. Um, and I think that kind of just set a tone after our first anniversary episode. So, yeah, honestly, they're exorcisms. I think they are they're, exorcisms. I, I, they're, they're us getting out. Um, there's certain episodes we've had, not, uh, mostly anniversaries, but they're us getting out something something inside us that we just need we we need to stop talking about this on other episodes let's get it done and then we also like th- i'm going to talk about bill maher a little bit this week because i i see bill maher and jay leno as similar sort of like boomer assholes we can't get rid of um <laughs> we talked about bill maher on like seven different episodes i just kept editing it out i kept yeah me too yeah. And, and we were like we we talked right, about that they Bill Maher and Full House were our two most, like, edited out rants that no one had ever heard. And then all of a sudden you, like, make me talk about Bill Maher for two hours and I'm like, I'm free. I'm free. We haven't mentioned – I don't think – now, apparently you're going to do it today, which is extremely disappointing to me and all of our listeners. But I don't think we've talked about Bill Maher since. And even stuff that we were making tons of jokes about. Like, we did that Monster Trucks episode for our 100th. When's the last time we've ever mentioned monster trucks except like as related to like an actor who's in a movie or something like that? Like it's almost we, bittersweet. It's like we have to close the door on something. We're closing the door and we need to bury the bones of this in in order to build a foundation. And know? also like monster trucks 
We were kind of positive on AirPod. We were definitely positive on Monster Trucks, a movie I've now seen three or four times. Um, speaking of which, my kids are old enough to watch Monster Trucks. What am I even doing recording this, Peter? I should wait. <laughs> vroom, Get vroom, them the fuck out of bed and say, you're learning about Creech today. <laughs> yeah. We're talking um, about Monster Trucks. Uh, <laughs> his name's Creech. So, so what do we do? We're, so, we're doing it, uh, Collision Course, which is the only movie made starring Jay Leno, someone who- Papa, don't creep. <laughs> I'm in trouble deep. These are all jokes we made three years ago, Peter. You don't need to do any of this. Um, go listen to the episode. You can't- Are you repossessed? Are you like the Leslie Nielsen movie and Linda Blair movie? Repossessed about Linda Blair getting possessed again, but this time for comedy purposes, Peter? How much- how, what, does it, does Why it do I know for- that? Does it bode poorly for me as a person that I would be more likely to do Repossessed than The Exorcist, a movie I love? I've never seen Repossessed. I just am aware of it when I was trying to watch all the Leslie Nielsen movies, and even that one was like, no thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, But anyways, so yeah, we're doing Collision Course, which is a movie I was aware of from like the video store I used to work at. I have never had any interest in watching Collision Course. I actually think this kind of genre of let's take a comedian, let's take like two people and do a mix-up cop thing is like a terrible genre. We talked about that in the Lethal Weapon episode about like everyone did movies like this and none of them were any good. And this feels like the bottom of the barrel for that. But at the end of the day, I don't know how it happened, Peter. You and I don't like Jay Leno. I think I think just knowing who you were as a person, we never even it was one of those things that was like silent between us and all and all millennials <laughs> and definitely all zoomers. Yeah, just like, it was like we uh, know two nineteen fifty two Buicks passing in the night. Yeah, it's probably like if you met another another like fuck, where I'm going with this is going to be not good, so I don't I'm not going to say that it's something about like politics alignment if you met someone of a certain race in the 50s. Um, but you just know, you know that like, hey, you are not a Jay Leno person because if you were a Jay Leno person, you wouldn't be my friend. You'd be my friend's dad. Right? <laughs> like, um, and I would be awkwardly going like, you know. Thank God they you'd be saying you would be your friend's dad, my friend's dad. You'd be saying things like, "Thank God they got that Conan off the air," and I would be like, uh, "Sure, yeah, no, definitely." I'm so glad we got Jay Leno back. And then I don't know how it started, but somewhere along the lines, we start talking about Jay Leno on the show, um, specifically his love of cars and his love of his wife Mavis and his refusal to spend money to spend money and then i think we were also a little bit uh speaking of things that peter that i had to make peter aware of uh one of our one of our thankfully few negative reviews on itunes has a lot to do with how much they don't like uh us doing jay leno and not not specifically targeted towards that reviewer but it felt like if someone felt like we were doing it so much, they're going to put it in a review that said, you guys could do better, like stop doing Jay Leno impressions. Felt like, Peter, we found the perfect solid gold for episode 250. You know, we're rarely trolls. but today- I don't think this is trolly. I think this is in line with our history of what we do, but also <laughs> we have – I mean, what else are we going to do? We're going to do what? A fucking video of like a Zambruder film they f- they find of Natalie Wood getting drowned. Like, what else have we been doing the last year? 
like our two new additions in our own inside jokes is is long-winded Jay Leno impressions and the fact that Christopher Walken assisted in the murder, uh, allegedly, of Natalie Wood at the hands of uh, uh, Santa Claus in and the movie North Pole, allegedly. Right, like we'll we'll like buy Blu-ray Criterion's of whatever, like Heaven's Gate or whatever movie he made after. Wait, hold on, no, this happened in the nineties, right? I think it was eighties. Eighties, like whatever movie he made immediately after. Like, I when did know. they know about DNA? <laughs> <laughs> I, for our three hundredth episode, we're just sitting there watching old footage of Christopher Walken deciding if he's guilty or not. Based, can on, we be, uh, we could become a murderer solving podcast for episode 300 where we like examine evidence can we do that can we do that like but in person because a year from now we should be able to be in person right can i ask you another question could we do that for episode 251 because that sounds like a lot of fun, it does sound um, fun. Um, um, no 81 yes. 81 is when natalie wood was brutally murdered uh, allegedly so any christopher walken interview he did from 81 onward is fair game for us to assess whether or not he, he's giving away secretly that he should, murdered should Nelly. we see hold on what 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 was the movie that christopher walken did after that <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna start episode 251 right now with a quick look at how guilty christopher walken was uh, on the set of... Herbie Goes Subterranean? He did have, like... Remember, he was big in the 70s, and, like, Pulp Fiction was kind of getting him out of that. So, interesting, Peter. So, 81... That's full of fun. Well, no, so, so Natalie Wood died in 81, so the 81 was oh, so less fun. 80 fun. That's no fun. So, the 81 movie that he was in wouldn't have been... He would have shot it before he allegedly uh, helped Robert Wagner kill Natalie. Allegedly, yeah. I said allegedly. That movie was pennies for heaven. I gotta tell you, if you're getting in the murdering mood before you allegedly kill your friend's girlfriend or wife, I think the kid's character in Pennies for Heaven fits that bill pretty well. Oh, yeah, he's a fucking creep in that movie, right? Here's... Yeah, oh, yeah. He abuses... uh, Uh, Bernadette Peters? Bernadette Peters, yeah. Then he... Guess what? Not in a movie again for two years. He's in then two movies in 1983. You could look at it one of two ways. Either he was in a horrific situation where his best friend who hated his wife, uh, but then she accidentally also drowned on a mysterious cruise. Like you're there consoling your friend whose hatred has turned to sadness because of the accident. Or... You got to take a little break for yourself because you uh, helped your friend murder and or cover up a murder, allegedly. Do they still hang out together? Do they Do they go still go to Zabar? That, that's what we got to figure out on episode 251. Um, you, know what, you know what his uh, movie in 1983 is? <laughs> it's like, it's like you can't, I'm not going to be suspicious, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play basically an abuser of women. <laughs> And then I'm going to be in a murder scene or an alleged murder scene. I'm going to take a two-year break, break and I'm going to come back as maybe one of the most haunted characters I've ever played. <laughs> Give or take a deer hunter. Uh, uh, Herbie, if the snow tires don't... I don't know if he's in... I don't play. think he's in a Herbie movie. <laughs> no, he's in the dead zone next. Oh, yikes. Oh, yikes. I mean, I, I feel like that's a confession. Between two pennies from heaven to your break, the dead zone. Wow. Lock me up. Or do you think he thought if he hung out enough with David Cronenberg, he could actually talk to the dead and and tell Nellie Wood 
Sorry. Do you think uh, they probably shot that in Canada and that was a good place to lie low? (laughs) (laughs) No extradition from Canada. Well, he's just not around for all the questioning as they discover DNA. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's that'll be either episode 300, 251, or none of them. But yeah, so this is not meant to be trolly, but it is... If we can get the Jay Leno out of our system, I think that'll be good. Although I know for a fact that we are going to cover another movie <laughs> featuring Jay Leno that we all forgot in June. Uh, so there'll we, be I some callbacks we on it, though. It's you know, it, it, we're I'm we're kind of brief. I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna speak briefly about Bill Maher, but it's not going to be a whole deal. Because uh, <laughs> like, what's the deal? That sorry, that's not Jay Leno. That's Jay Leno's famous high school dating high school girl dating friend, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. What do they have in common? They like to ride in cars. One of them with coffee, one of them as opposed to ever talking to his mythical wife, Mavis. Um, uh, you know you know what's interesting about Jerry Seinfeld? He did touch his Seinfeld movie. <laughs> yeah, oh, he touched it all over the place. <laughs> he never <laughs> stops touching it. Um, he invested all of it in B-movie. <laughs> He, invent- um, he invested none of it in um, maybe taking a week off from filling up the Ferraris to write a new joke. Uh, I probably spent a lot of it on the dowry to uh, his high school girlfriend's parents so they didn't sue him. <laughs> <laughs> How many goats is she? I know it's illegal, but I'm so wacky. <laughs> Have you seen Kramer? That guy said the N-word. Way worse than me. Come on. Come on, culture. Move on. Move on. Everyone just move on. Uh, Do you Um, think Kramer touched his Laugh Factory money? (laughs) Do you think they sent him a check after that? Do you think they're like, fuck, well, we do owe you $300. (laughs) Okay, so the question is not, did he send money to a black-owned charity afterwards? Because I'm sure on his apology tour where he refused to let any uh, late-night host make jokes about it. Um, because it wasn't funny. He was a fucking asshole. And, and somebody had to cut Michael Richards a check when that day was over. Hold on. We need to f- remember if that... I think it was my Letterman. I think I'm unfairly, in this case, throwing Jay Leno under the bus. Where Seinfeld... Because it's Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) He brought fucking Kramer onto one of the talk show hosts is like, like a dad is like, look, I know he was incredibly racist, but I'm Jerry Seinfeld and I brought him here to apologize. So it should be cool. And he then, then like people are angry in the audience and Jerry's mid apology scolds the audience. Do you remember this? You see this? You heard about this? Do you remember this? Uh, yeah, he's like, it's not funny. Stop laughing. It's not funny. Yeah, this isn't a joke. And like, honestly? Talk show apology? I need to know. Because if it's Jay Leno's show, that somehow makes this whole thing worse. Oh, it's on Letterman. It is on Letterman. Letterman? Okay, I'm, I, you know, I... Why didn't he go on his best friends? Jay, Jay Leno's all over that documentary comedian. They're best friends. You think also, Letterman's Leno friends is, with anyone? One of the things I hate about Jay Leno is he's a sycophant for celebrities, right? He's a notoriously soft interview. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, uh, you know, twist the knife on anybody. Uh, he twists the knife on Hugh uh, Hugh Grant one time, and then for the rest of his life, he got to coast on interviews, like. 
Yeah, so let's let's quickly like in all like unfortunately we are even though we're doing a joke movie that's bad about a joke person that's bad. Yeah, but this movie is also like uh, racist and shitty, so I feel like this is probably a good uh, uh, table setting. I think it is. Like, so let's let's at least spend a couple minutes. Like, why do people like Peter and myself and millennials? Not like Jay Leno. There's obviously the Conan O'Brien stuff, and the, even let's, the, yeah, let's we definitely have to break that apart. Right? So and and the and the Letterman stuff. Those like all the kind of like sycophantic, shitty things he did while under the auspices of being like a like I'm just I'm, I'm just a nice guy. I just like to go and uh, I like to go tell my my funny jokes and you know uh, blah 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 and I'm like just a working class guy. I'm just a working class guy. Like, have you read either like especially the uh, the War for Late Night? Uh no, but I I I, uh, I did some research before. Holy this shit! About um, you should some like the, I know it's from two thousand nine, but I read it for the first time about two years ago. After some other podcast I was listening to was like you got to read like was like making a hard pitch for even though it's been ten years you should read the book and holy shit, Peter! Like it's a breezy read, but it is you should read that book. Like Jay Leno is. Uh, one of those people that stabs you in the back, blames everyone else for it, and just um, while just being like, yeah, I mean, it'd be cool if I could go do a show again. Like, oh, Conan, Conan will be fine. Like, just he he seems like the fucking worst. Letterman, I mean, famously hated him for the same thing. Kind of like uh, played his kind of like friendly guy, just a man of the people persona into uh into into like like screwing letterman out of like his spot like what i just try to get a job everyone um but beyond that like that stuff is well documented we don't need to go into the history of those things i think i've never read the late show book i saw the made for tv movie i want to talk a little bit about okay stuff because let's talk let's that is that is a very important point but i think actually before we get to the conan stuff if it makes sense for us to talk about like why people were happy that Conan was replacing Jay Leno and why not just in that Jay Leno was screwing Conan over, which he absolutely was, why that felt like a loss for us overall as like a as a culture. And that's because like Jay Leno, I know Pat Oswald likes to talk about like he used to be a very good comedian. In fairness, I've never seen any of his stand up sets. I, I guess- haven't I tried to lis- listen back to his old stand ups um from the early eighties. Some and- of that stuff's always impossible to go back to even if they were groundbreaking for their time. Oh, yeah, there's tons of there's tons of jokes about uh, Native Americans. Uh, there's tons of jokes about um, there's tons of jokes about uh, Indian guys and black people drive like this and like th- there's all the there's all the eighties comic stuff, the edgy shit in there. But like, yeah, not everyone's it, Stephen it, Wright it, or like Steve Martin. I get it. That is like making <laughs> literally timeless stuff. That's not defense. I, I haven't I heard. Like, I feel like the the the, going back to that stuff like a lot of the stuff is actually not that well documented because Jay Leno never even had a comedy album yeah um, I'm listening to like live recordings that someone happened to have captured well he kept he it, kept as we all know famously he kept touring because that's the only money that he touched yeah, and I remember him going to like casinos a lot yeah. and I, I thought was maybe a a, a, a 
a misnomer about him is that he says, I never touched my never touched my Tonight Show money. Never touched my Tonight Show money. But it is actually something he said. Like, I was listening to uh, his interview with Jesse Thorne, which is mostly like a friendly ass interview. Like, he, Jesse Thorne barely holds him to task, except for at the very end of the interview, he asks him to like talk about the Conan stuff. And this was yeah. whatever, two years ago, right? That's not, that's not, that's not a tough interview. Uh, even in that, uh, Jay goes straight back to his party lines, his party lines, his party lines over and over yeah. again. And one of them is like, you know, I didn't touch my Tonight Show money, you know. Um, and, and the the deal is that he had this scuffle with he had a scuffle with Letterman for the Tonight Show slot. Well, um, scuffle is like that feels like a New York Times. I know you don't mean it this way, but that feels like a New York Times. <laughs> Headline like scuffle leads to Jay Leno hosting the Tonight Show, like so, but under the, undermining and sabotaging and lying uh, and betraying a friendship uh, to out. Uh, yeah, because he he was a company guy. That was he he really was like a, like a capitalist stooge from the get go. That not not that I'm like not that Letterman the, or something. The, the suits need to get blamed here too. But um, but the, they found. True. I mean, you're not going to see me defending the fucking, especially the suits of fucking NBC and stuff like that. But part of the reason that that was a match made in heaven is that Jay Leno was always very clear. He had no artistic integrity at all. Not a modicum of it. And he would do whatever the network needed him to do. Like, he considered himself a network guy, which is uh, which was that he would basically like if network wanted this, I'll take that note. Like I'm doing the show that you want me to do. <laughs> yeah, um, and he didn't challenge the Tonight Show format at all. And like Letterman and Leno, they wanted to challenge the format. They wanted. They grew up watching. Well, and Carson was challenging it from Steve Allen. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff I'm taking off of, uh, you know, sort of comedian historian voices. Yeah, not me. This not is watch. all contem. This is all contemporary for me. <laughs> I was a big Steve Allen host of Tonight I watched Show five guy. minutes of it. It's kind of cute to see, like, clips from a 1950s talk show, but, like, no. they this stuff is not well What documented. do you think about this Brown versus Board of Education? <laughs> the clip I watched was, I think, selectively chosen. The Steve Allen clip I selected, I think, was selectively they, they did, chosen. Oh, they did write over a ton of that. Like, who, why would you keep a daily talk show? Right. And, and uh, they would, over the years, they would re-record over uh, recording materials. Eventually, they were re-recording over- yeah, master tapes over are expensive. Master tapes. Yeah. This, this, stuff was, this stuff was being re-recorded over all the time because why would you need to hold on to it? And even now, like, NBC is pretending like Conan never hosted on their network, um, <laughs> which is sad. Yeah. Very hard to find those clips, unfortunately. I'm trusting what I've seen. On, of like five minute clips and what historian comedians who actually were there said right the suits need to get blamed here too but like jumping back to the the letterman thing like letterman was the guy who wanted to challenge the format he wanted to bring on uh more weirder outsider voices and, and bring them into like american homes and he was like wouldn't it be hilarious if i had this weirdo chris elliott and, and brought him into americans homes I mean, I still remember. I I, I am old enough, um, which I hate saying just in general. But I, when I'd be at friends' sleepovers, right, I would watch the late show or like staying up late when I was like five or six. Like I wasn't interested in Johnny Carson, even though I knew that my dad was super into that. But I like the Letterman stuff I was seeing on that show was like 
you know, was was mind blowing. Even though I didn't get to see much, like I feel like I still have segments drilled into my head that I remember just clearly at that age. Um, even stuff like him, like that was kind of basic, like him uh, pro- uh, trying to prove to the audience that everything he was doing was a lie because the backdrop was dark outside. And it was, um, and it, and he's like, I'm recording this in the day. Everything you're seeing is bullshit. You know, he didn't say bullshit, but sh- but showbiz nonsense. And like, no one in the crowd is believing him. They're like, you're so funny, Dave. And he like takes the cameraman outside to the middle of the day and goes, look, this you saw me walk down. And then in the middle of that, as like an extra joke, they they as he's going down the fucking stairs at you know fucking Thirty Rock or whatever, there's a weatherman. <laughs> like giving a weather report on a poster on the stairs and he pushes him over and knocks out down the weather map he's like hey i'm trying to do the local news here with that idea of like they're also just recording fake weather maps with no like (laughs) as like like it was it was like i remember being six or seven and just being like this is the most amazing thing i've ever seen like and I can see why – I didn't get to watch it as much as other people. Like, I've seen a lot of the clips that have come later and, you know, best of those sort of things. But even though to me, as I got a little bit older, Dave, Dave Letterman seemed like a slightly better version of watching The Tonight Show and I wasn't interested in that. I was I was definitely more into the Conan stuff because that, that seemed like the same odd, weird humor. Like, the stuff I remember from David Letterman was just like – it's like the first time I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where like you just are like it's so funny and so different, it's almost breaking your brain. And I'm I'm a little younger than you, so I basically never watched Letterman, except for like bits and pieces when my parents would watch it. Well, so by the time you're watching with- by the time you're watching it, you're watching the Letterman has decided to kind of just sort of settle into his role as being slightly smarter television than than Jay Little, but not pushing against a format. Anymore. Yeah, which which there were times when um, there were times when Lena, uh, Letterman was more inspired. Right. And and there were times when Letterman broke format, like obviously like he wasn't just like slumming it the way no. Leno was. But um, yeah, like he was kind of defeated by this and he saw moving to CBS as sort of a fuck you move as opposed to like, this is where I can really thrive artistically. Um, which is similar to what Conan's move started out as, but then Conan immediately started thriving artistically. Um, but uh, basically, the point I want to take from the 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 the, the, the Letterman Leno scuffle is that um, Leno was in a specific uh, he was guest hosting for Carson. Letterman was really Carson's pick. Uh, not Carson Daly, Johnny Carson. Um, <laughs> Carson Daly did weirdly end up on the Late Night Network there, but that's a story for a different time. And he hosted it way longer than way a lot, like too. Oh yeah, because his last show was just a couple years ago, and everyone was like, "The f- the fuck? What's it called?" Show? Later was still on. Letterman had a pretty brutal joke about it. He's like a one thirty a.m. show. This is it's pretty identical to not having a show. <laughs> Letterman grew into a, a mean, grumpy old man, which at least was more interesting than than jail. Having some edge was was yeah. something, right? Um, but the, the 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 lesson from this era I want to take is like Leno was in the right place at the right time and played his cards right, and the suits were like, okay, I bet you we can keep both 
uh, Leno and Letterman if we keep Letterman right where he is. Um, and we let Leno take over the Carson spot. And they thought maybe we can – they got greedy. They thought they could dominate the hour and that Letterman wouldn't, wouldn't walk away. Who would walk away? Yeah. Um, and that was largely because of um, – the, the the strength of the Carson format that Carson had defeated so so many other late night uh, voices in that time period like Chevy Chase had his own fucking talk show right like yeah Joe no, Rivers and stuff a, a Joan Rivers thing is interesting because in an oh, alternate yeah. history Conan is hosting the Tonight Show in an alternate history Joan Rivers was hosting a competitor to the Tonight Show on well because Joan network. Rivers yeah used to guest host too and Johnny Carson took it as a personal insult when she tried to do her own show and then she got stepped on Carson kind of signed off as Letterman as, as his replacement anyways moving on this is not a historical podcast but like that's the point I want to take away from that is not that, unless like, we're trying suits, to solve, solve the suits, were, the suits got greedy the suits got fucking greedy they did they, they thought, got greedy and then they get to, you get to I think it's 2005 and or 2004 and uh, Jay Leno announces in a move that seems very gracious at the time and very sweet that yeah. uh, hey Conan is taking over this show in five years and then he says something along the lines of like it's it's your show Conan and what really was happening behind the scenes is that uh, they were trying to avoid that the the, the, the the Letterman scuffle and they were trying to lock in Jay so he couldn't just walk over. He was Jay, Jay was popular. Jay had beaten Letterman. Yeah, Letterman won the ratings battle for the for the first year and a half. Then the Hugh Grant thing happened and basically and the OJ Simpson stuff and basically Leno kept kept winning from there on out. So, yeah, um, uh, and. Yeah, so they didn't want Con- – well, Conan O'Brien at the time, like, is becoming – like, and that's my era, right? Like, in high school, they had that book in the year 2000, which had all of the stuff that was on the show. We would stay up – you know, we were at people's houses, and if we weren't doing something in the movie wash, it was always, let's turn on Conan. And you usually end it before the guest, like on all those shows, but you would just see hilarious, hilarious shit for the first – 20 minutes and that went all through college so like everyone you know i imagine the same type of person that was a letterman person uh back in the 80s and early 90s like you just become a conan person they're 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 doing interesting weird stuff that's that you're just not used to seeing and it's on every night so it doesn't have to knock it out of the park every night but you know and also he's playing with the formula like you know, I don't know if it was always the funniest thing in the world, but like, you know, he was he was digging at like, you know, Jay Leno would one of his segments was he would show misprints or weird things in like local newspaper ads. Right. And Conan did that, except everything was written, you know, and it was that idea of I'm not doing I'm not doing the lazy version of this. I am still having to do the talk show hour long format where you do you know, monologue, bit, guess, and stuff like that. But I'm I'm doing something more interesting. Um more interesting than than, you know, anyone since Letterman has done with it. Which is why I think, you know, Letterman really loved Conan O'Brien. I you know, they definitely uh while not being necessarily friends, um <laughs> uh, just probably based on uh, you know, generational stuff have always, uh, from what I've read, stayed in close contact, and he's always wrote very encouraging things, and definitely had a lot to say, much like Jimmy Kimmel did when Leno <laughs> got a show back. But yeah, liked, Leno did... Yeah, he liked jumping into the fray when all this was happening, and just soaking in 
um, taking the the um, thriving hatred of Jay Leno. Like, well, well I mean, like Letterman fucking hated Leno. Well, and Letterman hated NBC in general as a result too. Like, I still love the story that after you know, NBC fired Norm Macdonald. <laughs> um, uh, from Weekend Update, his the next day, or the next like day after the news broke, he was on Letterman as the main guest. Like Letterman fucking just hated that shit. Um, and I think you know, and CBS- also uh, Norm Macdonald starred heavily on Conan's show and yeah. appeared, I believe, in Conan's last episode in like a hilarious fucking bit oh, about him trying to the gift basket, the gift basket thing, where he's trying to thank. <laughs> Um, he's trying to, uh, give, give, uh, Conan a celebratory gift basket, but he was like seven months too late. So, uh, because I think Conan only hosted for seven months. Nine months. Yeah. Norm MacDonald comes in and he reads like, well, I guess I'll read the note off of it. It's just him being like, <laughs> like this beautiful thing that the, they can no never take, can take it away, away from, from you, you. Conan. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I remember it. I saved that episode on my TiVo. That last, like. Conan O'Brien was always the satirical person. He was never angry. And even though, like, I still have watched his last speech a couple times because I do think it's beautiful on his last episode of The Tonight Show about, like, how um, he's made a lot of jokes. But he, you know, it's important to not become embittered even when you feel like. But I, I that whole last week week of episodes, I TiVo'd him um, or DVR'd him or whatever. And obviously, that DVR is long returned. And, um but uh, I watched them a lot because they were like Conan O'Brien with a little bit more of an angry edge, which was never his thing, was so fun to watch. And I I do like – I watched the TBS show for a while. Um, you know, I think – but I do think it's like a Letterman situation. Like it's not that it's not funny, but he he had a lot of things that he couldn't do anymore from a copyright standpoint. Um that he had lost ownership of. Um, and he, you know, it's just, he didn't have anything else to prove anymore. Like he wasn't, he wasn't trying to host the tonight show. Like he, like Letterman kind of found a retirement home and it's, it's still more, it still was more like, I would, I would have rather watched Conan than a Jimmy Fallon or, or any of that stuff anymore. But you just are like, there's, there's, there's not much here, but, a. Talk to a former. I I really wish. I think it's that, a little brutal. I think yeah. that's a. I think that's a little brutal. I think calling it a retirement home for Conan because Conan still did tons of format changes and lots of adventurous shit for years. It's just that we stopped watching because the format didn't never served our generation in the first place. Yeah, and so it wasn't the late night thing, and also it was competing against something that I think did become generational defining, which was. Um, the Daily Show and and the Colbert Report, right? Like, even like I did, I don't think I ever miss an episode of the Colbert Report. I have watched maybe one episode, the first one of the of the Colbert CBS show. Like, um, same, same. Even like, though he took um he took his head writer with from Stranger with Candy and from Colbert Report. Yeah, it's just he he was doing something interesting and. By by locking into by by locking into the format, like eventually, if you're not fighting against the format, I think you just get beat by the format. The format is bad, um, and so like Conan O'Brien, Letterman, at the time, they're specifically fighting against a format. Right? They're still doing the format, but they're they're following a. Um, 
they're following a show each time that is creating the template, right? Like, you know, uh, you know, Letterman is following Carson and he's able to take that template of a talk show and do something different with it. Conan did the same thing with Jay Leno. And um, at the end of the day, like, I don't know if Conan's Tonight Show would have been good because um, I, I did stop watching it. Um, but I mean, on the flip side, I never watched the. But did the you? Late- yeah, did you stop watching it because it was bad, or did you stop watching it because it it didn't feel as special on TBS because it didn't have the MPC no? But I mean, even show, when he hosted the Tonight Show, like I watched it at the beginning, I would check it occasionally. Like it wasn't like the for <laughs> good or ill. Like the Daily Show and the Colbert Report, I never missed because I TVO'd them and I watched every fucking one of them. Like I wasn't TVOing. Conan O'Brien, because even on their best episodes, you essentially had 15 minutes of comedy and then 45 minutes of celebrity interviews, which, you know, it just wasn't worth it, like, to plow through that stuff. So, you'd watch occasionally, oh, I have a little time, I might as well flip to this. You knew it was better than whatever else was on at the time, but it didn't feel like the same thing as like watching when he when they hosted late night or whatever. Um, so here's my theory on this: is that you make okay, you make the movie because there's that that HBO movie about the uh, Leno and uh, Letterman breakup. Yeah, late show. Uh, this is like an HBO TV movie. It's supposed to be really good. I think Kathy Bates is supposed to be really good in it. Yeah, it's uh, on HBO uh, Max now. Similar to. Uh, <laughs> I believe Closure Course might now be on HBO Max. I'm not sure. <laughs> Don't um, worry. We bought the last two copies that were on Amazon when I saw it, and I mailed one to Peter and one to me. Now, it didn't say more on the way, but that doesn't mean they've since found more. But we did watch this on full frame DVD. Beautiful, baby. Uh, it looks uh, ripped straight from a VHS. Um, I like the, I like the make- way it's a square. Uh, yeah, there's no wasted, uh, frame at the top or bottom. There's wasted (laughs) frame on the left or right, but not on the top or bottom, which I like. Um, so you make a movie about this, right? Uh, and Conan joked, when this happens, um, please cast Tilda Swinton as Conan (laughs) O'Brien. It's very funny. Um, but you make this movie, right? And in, like, the third act, the, not even the third act, the denouement, um, that, uh, you know, ends every Scorsese movie, you need to have sort of, like, a... Uh, you know, all of this, all of this, this rancor, all the struggle, all the strife, where does it land you? And it's um, Leno standing in a room with Jay Leno's cars or whatever. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the they're done shooting their season. There's five seasons of the show out. It has disappeared down an Internet hole. Like, nobody gives a shit about this show. Then, uh, next shot is Jimmy Fallon, somebody who just inherited this this crown for kind of no reason. Like, just because he's stuck around. Uh, him going on and doing, like, drinking games on... <laughs> And helping to get a our first fully fascist president. Uh, ruffling Donald Trump's hair. Like, that's that's the other coda, right? Yeah. Is Jimmy Fallon inheriting a show that I don't think Jimmy Fallon particularly cared about. I still remember that there. last Conan O'Brien show because my DVR went to the first two minutes of of Jimmy Fallon's late night. And I remember him being wide-eyed and being like, yeah, 
So what a what a day for history. <laughs> and yeah. I like that's how I think of Jimmy Fallon as like just someone who would be better off telling jokes and singing his dumbass Saturday Night Live songs um, in a bar somewhere and getting people to give him hugs and high fives, but not anchoring, theoretically, the most influential comedy show on network TV. Yeah, he should have been replacing Carson Daly, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that is an upgrade. I'll give you that. I don't like Jimmy Fallon. I thought he was funny sometimes on Saturday Night Live. I like Fever Pitch, but I do think that him replacing Carson Daly is an upgrade. Yeah, and, 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 and then the final coda here for me would be um, a damning condemnation of our generation, which is us changing our Twitter icons to, you know, free Coco or whatever that was. We all did it in 2008, right? Um, I didn't do and, it. It was 2009. And we all did it back then. And... Uh, then, uh, you know, he finally gets his show on TBS. He has full financial freedom and everyone watches it for a week. All of us, all of us click off of it to watch a different YouTube video. And then we watch idiot gamer, right? Cause that shows up on YouTube or whatever that show. Yeah. Called. Yeah. And, and like, that would be a perfect set of codas, I think, for the end of the story as depressing as it is, because like the the suits were excited about conan for a little bit because conan was bringing in young viewers in 2005 ish or 2004 2005 um and then and youtube and daily motion and all these websites yeah that that is really the big problem is that what they should have done is replaced him in 2004 because his audience you know grew up a little bit and so as the audience grew up he lost like when they replaced him, his ratings had been going down. On Everyone's ratings were going down, though. Yeah, it's true. Like between in that in that five year period, NBC's uh, income had gone down like a billion dollars. Well, and just yeah, I mean, da- the Daily Show had done their 2004 election coverage and become like the thing that like they he, they just they by the time that they replaced him, he was old news. And they talk about that in the book. Is that like? They he had lost he had had eight years of cultural and youth cachet that he built, and then you can't keep that forever. A because the the youth cat the youth quote unquote grows up, the youth and, fi- and finds other things. And typically, the next generation or younger people don't find the same things, right? So they just they miss that boat. Leno didn't want to leave in any capacity, and so of course. When NBC started panicking about the ratings at like week two, by the way, and they approached Leno about coming back to save the ratings, you know, he's like, well, sure, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. Ruin yeah. the ruin Johnny Carson's legacy. Whatever. I'm a, I'm a network guy. You know, who I am. So there's a few details here that need to okay. be noted. So okay. we got to do the, the details and then we have to say why Leno sucks to begin with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the few details that have to be noted here and why the suits carry a lot of the weight here is um when they signed up conan and then they told leno that he was being replaced in five years yeah that was the order of operations then leno went on tv and he said i'm gonna do a gracious exit five years seems good my staff can you know we have five years and then they can sort of trickle into other projects and i can start you know maybe spending the last year or so gradually finding jobs for them is at least the story that leno has told um but he basically said, like, I'm going to be I'm going to be gracious on TV. And that's kind of the story that Conan agrees with, too, is that, like, he heard the news. He, he knew it was like a shit. They sandwich, told him but... that Leno was the one asking for it, which is 
again, I, I think I think the biggest problem here is that I, I that's all true. But Conan was sabotaged from the get-go by having Leno still on an hour before him, right? Like, they did the – from the, the 10 to 11 slot that Leno did his show. So, that, those ratings were abysmal. But he also, like, if you want your hour of late night, you just got it. So, most – like, half of the audience is not tuning into the next hour of late night. Like, you already got it with the guy that you used to watch anyways. And so, even though the – like, you sabotage both ratings, Leno's show wasn't going to be successful because – most people were watching their like lost and shit at 9 p.m. And, like, and if, this was a brutal time too for lead-ins, right? Because Conan's ratings were great at the beginning and then they changed a lot of the the affiliates changed a lot of their lead-ins or NBC changed a lot of their lead-ins and it ended up being like a, sh- a shitty drama or a news show and Conan was like how But then let no but it was Leno. Back? Leno was the lead in. Remember he was on 5 days a week from 10 to 11. Then they did the local late night news and then they did Conan. And then yeah. because Leno's ratings were so bad they said, "Well, why don't we just let do a half hour show and push the Tonight show back to start at Eastern time, you know, 12:05 and and Conan's like that's not the t- – you're, so you're going to destroy the t- Tonight Show to give this guy that gracefully exited then had a show that ate my ratings a half hour? Yeah. Why? And, and, and the suits essentially couldn't commit to shit. And at this point, they knew that they they took the, – they rolled the dice. They said Leno can leave tomorrow because Leno had a pay and play deal. Yeah, which was good for him and good for the suits for a long period of time. Also, Leno didn't d- didn't have a manager famously for a very long time, and he was essentially he was a corporatist. He was he yeah. was taking the same paychecks year in year out. He was not the whole, and that hold on that is not an inference. He has said many times that he uh, thinks it's important to support the company, and he was a company man. Which is why, despite all the shittiness, his defense was like, I'm not doing this. NBC's doing it. I'm yeah. all the NBC. Oh, yeah. NBC told me to – like, he basically is like uh, – used the Nuremberg defense except for late night talk show stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's – he, 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 he blamed on the suits. But also, like, the suits deserve a lot of the blame here. And I'm not defending Jay Leno because I like him because I'm going to tear into his ass in the second half of this this podcast. But, like – my point here is that we – and the reason I want to keep diving into this and I, I need to pull, extricate myself. Well, we don't need to spend two hours on the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the reason I need to extricate Have myself – Have you seen a bad movie? This is one. This 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 uh, history of, of the, the Conan dispute is a few things. One, we failed Conan. We promised that our generation would tune in for something that was inherently against the format of what our genera- how our generation liked to consume media, and the next generation would utterly abhor. Like I, I occasionally, when I'm in a hotel room or whatever, I'll watch, um, I'll watch Conan and find it fun, and I really, really like on Netflix. This is it. This actually is leading better to my point than I thought. I really like watching Conan Without Borders on Netflix. Yeah. Like, I think that's actually really fun, and it's it's fun to see him in this sort of humanist casual mode because he's, like, a real person. Yeah. We support Conan. We support Conan. Then he moved to TBS where the standards are much lower for viewership, and then we kind of abandoned him, and then he had to find a whole new audience 
Well, but I mean, yeah, I... And then at the same time, the suits didn't never understood Conan. They thought they could take advantage of him by grabbing in a new audience. And then all of a sudden they said, shit, this audience isn't coming. And then they uh, then they ran back to Jay Leno and say, hey, do you want your show back? And Jay Leno says, I've got a hundred people that work for me that I want to... Oh, you're going to fire them? I'm a man of the people. I'll fire these other hundred people I've never met. He had the I, same staff for 22 years. I know, but... But it's it, his staff versus Conan's staff, right? Like, you can't protect everybody. I am 100% on board with protecting the staff and the crew. They get the most screwed in all this television shit, right? Like, it's, also, it's just Conan t- famously picked up the bill and did a stand-up tour just to pay for the staffs of, of his people that yeah. got dragged across the country yeah. and fucking dropped on their ass. And also, like, I don't know, like... But that whole thing is setting up his staff for disaster. Everyone thought that Jay Leno idea was a terrible idea that was going to cannibalize the audience for both shows. His staff got a five-year notice to find another job, which is more than most people do. And also, they're working in showbiz, which, like, again, I'm not saying that the gaffer and the lighters and all the – like, they all deserve to be taken care of. I wish capitalism wasn't a thing. Blah, blah, blah. But um, it – the fact that they had a consistent gig, had a five-year notice, and then Leno did a thing that was destined to fail just to continue to like live his his regular existence didn't do anyone favors. And Conan's thing was like, you know, he uh, he was great with his staff. That thankfully, well, he he did that to keep his staff employed on that tour while he. But he also the uh, Conan can't stop tour or whatever. Yeah, but he also the fifty million dollars he got was like he has said that was 50 million dollars for my show i made sure that my staff was well taken care of and then i kept them employed so they didn't have to go find other jobs doing the tour until i was legally allowed to you know be funny on tv again and take my staff over it was a weird specific amount of time and i think it was seven months he wasn't allowed to host anything yeah or wasn't allowed to appear on any network period yeah, because that was one of the jokes that he made. He's like, "Oh, Andy Richter's going to be hosting a show, and I'm going to be his. Uh, I'm going to be his co-host." And like, obviously, that wasn't all. That was also not allowed. That's obviously like Jay Leno was an asshole. He, I think, still thinks of himself as an innocent man. He's playing off the working class. I just got a staff to protect vibe. And yeah, like but the, some, but and, and enough of that is true that you know you can't really like call him on his shit. Well, but also, I mean, that's so bullshit when he's like, a, by by definition, a corporatist and someone who's like, I follow what the boss said. That's what you say. You, you're a good company, man. You work for the boss. They treat you good. It's just bullshit because by definition, they tr- they may have treated him okay. Um, they, they didn't necessarily treat I, – I know apologies only mean so much, but he's never attempted to do anything but be like, yeah, someone else. I just try to do what I do. Um, and that sucks. Like – he there, – there's never been even, like, a tip towards fault. And, like, fuck you. Like, who's in one late-night war? <laughs> no, there's literally – there's no other example of this, and Leno is at the center of two giant ones. Yeah. So, yeah. like, like it is – not that there's not examples of, like, hurt feelings and people getting screwed out of jobs in Hollywood, but, like, it is – 
that's why I mean the same guy wrote the fucking book on the second one too because it's like oh my god it happened again that's what everyone was saying I already now, understand this character I understand the internals yeah. of why he does this and like I, I think like it, it's 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 shitty to just fall back on this as like it almost feels like a meme complaint but this is something that like this is why millennials uh, are, are so apprehensive to these the older generation this older class of established elite figures is because this is he sort of he sort of even though fucking Conan is old too like we were sort of uh into this idea that uh Jay Leno was this boomer that we had never found funny and he was entirely irrelevant he didn't even do the funny letterman shit like getting Chris Elliott on TV like he was this boomer that needed to step aside and then instead of stepping aside he pushed aside Conan like this narrative is very attractive right that, that yeah he pushed, pushed aside, aside two generations of like groundbreaking comedians so that he could tell fucking the worst jokes of all time did he and him like Bill Maher like it's someone that we just can't get rid of and Bill Maher Bill Maher's obviously his stuff like was is very different like where he was pushed aside for bullshit reasons like Bill Maher should not have lost his show called Politically Incorrect for making <laughs> for making a political statement about how the US is fucking up in the Middle East like but he should lose his job on HBO for the love of fucking Christ yeah because he's a he's a misogynist Islamophobe yeah uh, who it's now is on the trump shit. side or something i don't know what's yeah going on. it's a total piece of shit very attractive to people of our generation i think to cast it cleanly as conan is our hero uh lennon is the uh, lennon <laughs> jay Len lennon is a monster i'm a trotsky hero. person yeah <laughs> that uh leno is the is the monster here when in reality like it all comes back to capitalist voices made decisions within a vacuum Leno was willing to play the capitalist game a little bit more, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the decisions were made by moneymakers, two generations of moneymakers in NBC. The, and at the end of the day, Leno was rewarded by being able to uh, gracefully step away from The Tonight Show and then get a clean sweep deal for the stupid fucking car show so he okay. could show off all of his boomer bullshit that he had. Well, so here's. To. And, and it's very tough for our generation to parse all that, but I think it's I think it's important to note that like we didn't we we said Conan was our hero, and then when the chance came for us to like oh, fucking support him, like TBS almost canceled his his show two or three times until one day he was like, "I'm cutting budget, I'm cutting this, this, and this, and now it's going to be a lighter, cleaner show at thirty. Yeah, he moved it to a half hour at some point, but and a lot of that was budget cutting because TBS was like, "Uh, you were supposed to draw viewers into the slot, and we can get more viewers on like Law and Order, which is like the <laughs> not supposed to be what happens." Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I do think, like, the the right place for Conan was to go into the night, Tonight Show spot because, by definition, the boom – like, obviously, the landscape of, like, media was changing. So, let's just put that aside for a second. The people that found him hilarious when they were staying up in high school and college in 1999 when they were 20 – they would have ultimately been the perfect audience to, well, I just watched the local news because that's something you sometimes do when you get older, as I have done more in the last uh, five years, than, which is still not that much. I don't usually watch the local news. But if something's going on in my locality, I will sometimes watch the local news. That's something I've never done. 
before that. And then, yeah, here's this guy I find funny. I'm going to watch a little of his show. That was a perfect way. You don't keep the guy who was, you know, even if even if Lena was the voice of a previous generation on the air that long, because now that 35 year old isn't like, well, I'm already on this channel and now Conan's on. I guess I'll watch. Instead, you go, oh, fucking Jay Leno's on. I don't care about this. And so, like, you know, his his the natural progression of that edgy late night comedian is to 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 fall into a space where the people that are getting older have a recognition. It doesn't mean that he's Conan's going to be on the, the forefront of comedy anymore. But it's like it is it is ultimately if he's not willing or not willing is the wrong word. But if he's not going to like push boundaries in the same way that he was for him to age into it in a way that he still gets to, you know, kind of keep his comedy identity while letting younger people push forward to comedy while also letting the 30 and the 40 year olds who grew up watching him uh, enjoy his shit. In some ways, that is what Stephen Colbert is doing. Like, I don't watch his show that much anymore, but, you know, I've. I wouldn't be opposed if I was watching that channel and his show came on to check out his monologue and see what he has to say because so much of my uh, my comedy ideas come from watching Strangers with Candy, come from watching you know the stuff that he was doing on The Daily Show and then eventually on The Colbert Report and stuff like that. Like Stuff that was that, very cutting. Very, very cutting edge. I mean, the fucking White House Correspondents Dinner. I will still, once every couple of years, watch that whole thing from, from 2006. So that is the perfect person. If deliver, and he delivers it like a <laughs> like a, 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 an old school Friars roast but in a way that like you can recognize both as old school and also like you can tell that something is breaking in that room and that the f- and that they are uh, the only thing reason this is going on is because it would look way worse for the president to make it stop yeah so so like you have all those good feelings i still have good feelings about stephen colbert i don't dislike stephen colbert i don't dislike conan o'brien the way to get me to watch their show is to put it on to whatever network TV or network news that I'm watching. And then I just start making it a part of my routine if that's that's already part of my routine. So it makes sense that like that's where those people would end up, even if it stops being appointment television the way the Colbert Report or Jon Stewart Daily Show at some points were. Right? Where it doesn't make sense is that if you've been watching three hours of Big Bang Theory, you might want to watch. Like, it just doesn't follow. It doesn't have an audience connection. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it's not it's not news, but it's not a logical comparison the way the like the old school stuff used to be, which was like sitcom, your hour long drama. And then when the hour long drama is, why don't you wash your mouth out and come come lay in bed and watch, uh, you know, go to bed with David Letterman. Well, the person that's watching three hours of Big Bang Theory isn't usually probably just tuning into Conan. And again, it's not edgy enough. It's not uh, It's not appointment television. So it's not like you're setting the TiVo on it because if you – it felt like if you missed the Colbert Report or the Daily Show at their prime – and this is again from my generation. Other generations can laugh all they want. It felt like you were missing something important. And they somehow were able to extend that to the worst fucking part of talk shows, which were the interviews. You had uh, Stephen Colbert, who would do his character in a way that would get all these people to weirdly agree with stuff that they really shouldn't be agreeing with. And it felt like some sort of weird Andy Kaufman-esque work of art. And you had Jon Stewart who – Or at Without the Bad Taste. Yeah, and you had John. St- well, yeah, well, we don't need to get into that. Um, 
And you had John Stewart who just would serve that point to just be John Stewart and serve a lot of times as emotional catharsis or at the you know even when it wasn't that interesting uh introduce you to some fucking like the amount of books and authors and other like interesting people I was introduced scientists and stuff like that on that show is remarkable as opposed to like here's you know here's Tom Cruise to talk about war of the worlds which no and do his pre-prepped thing like he had interesting guests on so that even when it wasn't that like you know uh, John Stewart railing against uh, the Kramer guy from CNBC or Bill O'Reilly. It was like I need to buy that book. Like, yeah, that seems yeah, super interesting. Like, so, or like I, we all knew Ariana Huffington was full of shit about five to seven years before the mainstream media did. Exactly, and he would. It felt like he had things to say about both sides. Same with Colbert. So those those became not just like the first two segment appointment television. It became appointment television to watch that hour block, and and obviously Conan and stuff like was never able to to keep up with that because ultimately he wasn't he wasn't that guy. He he was a late night comic guy at a time that he was segmented off from his natural evolution to like boring <laughs> retirement home Tonight Show, um, and and instead jutted off to TBS. Where if you're the type of person that would be interested in watching Conan. You know that you don't need to sit through three hours of the Big Bang Theory with commercials to to watch six episodes of the Big Bang Theory. Like it's probably streaming somewhere. I can steal it from the internet. Like why would you? Why would you? That audience and that that type of you know the the other audience didn't mesh. I we're we're actually approaching the end of time and we haven't even crossed over. I do I do need to say I think what's really important in all this and and why these things are still frustrating to us Peter. And that is like Leno was frustrating because he is the epitome of boomer humor. He is not funny. He has no interest in being funny. He sees comedy as a job that is only there to tell like I it's it's not surprising that those 80s comics, like when we watch um, Everything is Terrible clips, like you've seen that comedy special. And it's big comics. It's comics that's you know, did HBO specials and sell out stuff. And obviously they're editing some of their most embarrassing stuff. But it's true. I remember when I fell in love with comedy and would watch stand-up comedy on HBO when I got the chance in the, the mid to late 90s. And so much of it was so bad. And lazy, and it was like it was at a time where you could just be a comic and tell jokes, and you have nothing interesting to say. You don't have a perspective. You're probably lazy and racist, and that was really what Jay Leno was. And then there's two other things that I think set him apart for <coughs> for Iyer specifically outside of the Letterman stuff, which I want to mention. One, he had that fucking segment. That was his biggest – it was Jaywalkers, right? It was named after him. It was his biggest crowd-pleasing segment, which was to go out on the street and ask questions to make Americans look stupid. Now, this is the supposed nice guy, man of the people, who purposely went out and tried to make people and present a version of America where everyone is an uneducated Idiot. Now, obviously, probably goes without saying that they asked 100 people or 50 people or whatever was that question, and the person they put on the air was the one who just didn't happen to know it. 
And then that was always the joke, which sucked. But also, like, there's a part in this movie, which we probably won't get back to, where Jay Leno's talking to two security guards, and he's a cop. He's talking to these two security guards. And he is acting like, hey, I'm a cop too. And he is like the disdain emanating from him about these two fucking stupid security people that weren't able to pass the cop exam. And then also being smart enough to know how to be friendly while being judgmental and patronizing and stuff like that. It it was it's 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 boomer comedy about punching down and no good comedy for the most part is truly about punching down so look at these fucking stupid people we caught walking across the street that we've heavily edited down from the hundred people who knew what mount rushmore was but this one person who probably you know like basic human empathy somehow has lived life not knowing what mount rushmore is first of all who gives a shit Mount Rushmore is not important at all second of all you're putting him on TV just to have everyone laugh at the fact that you know this person didn't get it you know implying that they don't have they're so fucking dumb that they don't know what this thing everyone knows that is like the epitome of why Jay Leno just besides being seemingly somewhat of a shitty person just sucks as a comedian. That is antithetical. And I'm not saying that that had an effect on shaping why boomers suck so much. But the idea of your main set piece in your comedy show is just to laugh at the fucking idiots does feel like what happens on the Fox News of the world. And you know, Newsmax and all that shit. Like, sure, they're way off base and out of reality. But all of their segments, everything out there is framed in the idea, look at these idiots, don't even know that a penis equals a boy and a vagina equals a girl, and we're the crazy people for saying, like, it's all framed in that same way, with the that, same like, disdain. These people get to be trusted with democracy? Yeah, with, this, with the same friendly disdain that Jay Leno... Uh, portrayed in that segment and like has a little part of in this movie. The second thing is that the whole I don't touch my my Tonight Show money is like in fury. Let's say so let's say it's let's just say it's true and I mean maybe he is touching it now. I don't know. But this idea of this guy who even when he's claimed he wasn't touching, and let's say that's true, which he made tens and twenty and thirty million dollars every year. He said basically he puts it aside to invest a little bit, and a little bit goes to this. And like he he said, I never touched my Tonight Show money. And then in an interview recently, he was like, never touched my Tonight Show money except for you know. And then you, you take a little bit to 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 save, a little bit goes into investment, and like yeah. Well, but he, but the thing is, as I remember on Tonight Show clips, because um, I remember seeing like a. Um, a Tonight Show segment that was like goodbye to the Tonight Show the first time, um, which is him showing his uh, his like giant swath swaths of land and his hundreds and hundreds of like expensive automobiles and his huge house and he's you know going through all that stuff and still like highlighting that I don't actually like the thing that theoretically I have made the most money for, which is hosting this show for 15 years i don't even i don't even worry about that money all this money's from other stuff it while like he wears his fucking stupid denim shirts and his jeans and stuff like that I'm just, is I'm just like, a working class guy 
But that's the thing. It's like it's it's a weird like this is still from the era of like MTV Cribs where I think myself included like enjoyed watching like hey how do rich people live? And I think the idea of someone who is like yeah, he's hosting the Tonight Show, he's fucking rich. And then just has and he's clearly spending all his like he's not living in a three bedroom apartment and you know, in a in a suburban area, uh, thirty miles away from Los Angeles, and that's what he means by it. He is living fucking to the hilt, and and has millions upon millions of dollars of cars that he can't drive, and all this sort of stuff. Besides, just for like a day somewhere, and then brags about all my real money. I'm just keeping. I don't even have kids. I don't talk like I don't talk about my charity. I'm not giving it to people that will need it. I'm not investing it in a business. Like I'm not like yeah, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos have more money than God and should be taken and Elon Musk and all that money should be taken from them and you know, we should eat them and blah blah blah. But um I think even in like the devil's devil's advocate position, you could say, well, they're running a company. Some of that is stock they own in their own company and they're trying to grow their business. Jay Leno was just like Hey, I don't need any of this fucking money. I am living life like a rich asshole. And also, I have a ton of money that I'm just keeping from everything. It has no purpose. It's not for my kids, which I don't have. It's not for my wife that's the same age as me. I'm not giving it to charity or announcing it at any point in my life to this to, to currently this date. I just have it all. Like, that is the epitome of why fucking uh, no one should have more than a million dollars tops and everything should be taken because it, it feels like violence against culture as a whole. So I think those two things, that idea of just a disdain for humanity and trying to empathize the worst while seeming superior, while not just parading your wealth, but parading how much of your wealth you don't care about and don't need is like why he is worthy of disdain as a as a comic as a person as a tonight show host as all of it and i feel like that's a good reason for us to talk about collision course which is a movie i'm sure he would rather we all forget about yeah exactly he fucking hates it he wishes he hadn't it hadn't been made so uh in jay leno's honor uh, you hear this you see this the jay leno started in one exactly one movie that's bad. It's called Collision Course. You want to talk about Collision Course, Peter? Not really. I'm Jesus fucking Christ, so we're going to do it. Um, Alternate taglines. What if Jay Leno was overtly racist? <laughs> From the director of Cujo. <laughs> the, yeah. the next greatest monster to hit the screen. Yeah, so let's just do... Uh, I'll do a very quick... Um, I feel like racism movie. is sort of the Cujo of this movie. Um, well, I don't think that's fair because theoretically a dog starts out okay. <laughs> <laughs> racism doesn't usually start from a good place <laughs> and then slightly get better yeah so this is uh this is uh in the buddy cop genre this was actually shot in 87 
which gets weird from a timeline perspective when you think that Lethal Weapon came out in 87, but... Uh, uh, it's 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 incredibly weird also because Louis Teague apparently became a worse director. Yeah. Like he made some well, really, so, he made some really solidly directed genre movies and this movie is a big old muddled pile of shit. So here's what's important about that if you're just looking for why is this movie a muddled pile of shit? When it comes to this movie, it is important to note that uh, apparently uh, Pat Morita was on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno at one point, and they talked about this movie in that they ran out of money on the last day of shooting. The studio would not give them more, and that had a huge effect on post-production, editing, and the fact that even some scenes they were supposed to do in the last day, they didn't get to do. Now, that is specifically from Jay Leno's mouth, who wishes he had never done this movie, which is, again, another good reason for us to spend some time covering it. But apparently part of that is just they ran out of money. Now, this movie did have a $13 million budget, which is like close to $30 million nowadays. Uh, it is it is special effects heavy in the sense that people need to fire guns and things need to blow up. And There's a lot of low-key uh, street races in Detroit. <laughs> also, my theory on this movie is it was meant to be rated R and they somehow made it PG. Uh, because it has that kind of hard-edged stuff and then they constantly back away from it and there's not blood. like. And then the way they handle some of the more violent stuff is they put peppy pop songs over all the chases and the fights and the gun shootouts. And I think The that's- 80s music in this – we're not going to come back to it. But the 80s music in this is specifically why when I tell somebody who's older than me like, oh, I like like 80s synth pop music. Like that's like a genre I really like. They cringe. <laughs> Um, because they're thinking of music like this, because there was so much cheap. It, it's like it's like a wham co- bullshit. It's like a band you never heard of that was only inspired by wham, but with none of the talent. They did all the music, but it's true. Like they'll start shooting, and immediately it's like gotta go out and have some fun. It's like wait, it actually the- saps excitement out of out of you in a way. You're like, why is this car chase dorky? Yeah, and then, like, there's moments where it's like, oh, wait. Like, first of all, just the general grittiness of, uh, you know, downtown Detroit in the 80s, like, crime syndicate drug murders and stuff like that. And, like, at the very end when people are, like, blasted out of windows, both Jay Leno and Pat Morita are, like, covered in blood. Um, And, again, this is not an era where the PG-13 rating was – not a thing like it had been around for five years at this point so it is i i do feel like somewhere in the editing bay they decided to make this pg and that it was supposed to be at the very least pg-13 or r there just isn't that many of these like hard edge cop movies that are pg and it doesn't fit into that well at all um so really quick i mean the, the whole thing of this movie is that Jay Leno is a cop, and like all cops in movies, he doesn't follow the rules, which means he's a good cop, <laughs> which is a fun propaganda that all of us have had blasted into our heads uh, forever, <laughs> that the best kind of cop is one that is um, not defined by uh, – uh, is, is defined specifically by their social prejudice and one who doesn't follow due process. Yeah, one which that means does you're not a good cop. the concept it, of probable cause. If you – 
don't follow the law according to movies. Um, you are a good law enforcement officer. And this one, because it has no charm anywhere else, is it's just especially obvious, right? Like, like, oh, here's a guy who is like not even a good cop under the under the idea of good cops need to be vigilantes with a badge. He's just a bad cop. <laughs> like it, 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 it's in keeping with the Reagan era though, that <clears throat> we believe in these authority figures and whatever they do is correct. But sometimes you got to break a few eggs to get the job done, which is like the uh, how um, people viewed the fact that like Ronald Reagan is a war criminal. Like Ronald Reagan supported South American genocides. He literally sold weapons to like, I mean, yeah, I mean, sold weapons to very bad people so they could slaughter people that were suspected of being socialists Um, like Ronald Reagan did that. But like. This was an era where that kind of stuff was brushed under the rug because we were like, well, we need tyrants, don't we? Which also, let me note real quickly, like, Lethal Weapon is one of my favorite movies. They don't really break the law in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> no, it's more that he's unconventional, but it's it's not necessarily about, like, laws don't matter. Um, they actually, like, it's more that they're dragged. It's It's in Lethal Weapon to it's in the third act of lethal weapon where they're like we we have to go a little bit off off range to to go get your daughter back um because if we call on the cops things are gonna go poorly like they couch that in the fact that like they said don't call the cops and there's clearly connections to the cops like we need to make sure this doesn't happen so like it's funny that like we ex- some of these movies in the 80s accepted that cops were dirty, but thought it was like a cute, funny thing because they would occasionally have racist quips. But like in the movies that they're supposed to be emulating, like they're not really breaking the law largely. Yeah, I mean, if if your argument, Peter, is that this movie takes all the wrong lessons from Lethal Weapon, I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, the car chases suck. The shootouts are are just limp. Which is funny, because, like, I, I've seen Navy SEALs. Louis Teague knows how to shoot a shootout. Yeah, and, I mean, some of that could probably be blamed on post-production, but honestly, who cares? Because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad the studio said we don't need to give Jay Leno, the guest host of The Tonight Show, more money for this fucking disaster of a movie. So, anyway, I mean, the plot's really simple. So, like, classic, uh, classic 80s cop shit. Uh, you know, Jay Leno is a I-don't-follow-the-rules racist a womanizing cop with who lives by himself, but he's a detective. So he gets he gets away with it. Um, Pat Morita is friends with this guy in uh, Japan. He's a cop there who ultimately gets like kidnapped and murdered by Chris Sarandon and Tom Noonan uh, because they're trying to get secrets to a a new car that can finally compete, uh, can bring Detroit back to life by competing against uh, Japanese car makers. Pat Morita goes to investigate. Uh, the entire city of Detroit, including our uh, supposed hero in Jay Leno, fucking is just like, if you're Japanese, you are responsible for destroying Detroit's economy. We will get back to that. There's at least at least five minutes to discuss in that idea and the way it's presented in the movie. Uh, and, you know, so they do a bunch of shitty like first they don't like each other. 
And then they decide that they should work together because they drink together. And then there's some culture clash stuff that is also the worst stuff I've ever seen. Like, spend a couple minutes on that here in a sec. Um, like, worse than that, like, it's whatever hook they're going with in it doesn't work. Like, it, it's it's bad because it's racist. But it's not even like, yeah, it's racist. But at least they had something going there. It's not at all. Um, and then... You know, Chris Sarandon does crimes in public. Tom Noonan kills people. They eventually, uh, they <laughs> Jay Leno gets his house blown up with a bazooka. They eventually, uh, he has to turn in his badge and gun. Pat Marine is on the flight, and they decide, what if we go t- to a dance club instead? That's when they discover the evidence that. The car maker, uh, the person who has this technology isn't based in Japan. They're based in Detroit. So they go there to go, hey, what's going on? At the same time, all the bad guys show up. They have chases. They have shootouts. Um, The bad guys die. Pat Marina goes home and Jay Leno uh, in in a split diopter shot and a freeze frame. They are like, see you later, dude. But we're friends now and I'm not. I'm still racist, but not against you in particular, because I understand that not all Japanese people, quote unquote, destroyed Detroit's economy. And that's kind of different, more different than Cujo, because at the end of the movie, they beat Cujo. But at the end of this movie, racism wins. There is this is I I think this is critically important. That sounded like a quick recap because we are pressed for time. But that's about it for the movie, too. Like it's, it's incredibly like dumb, d- dummy simple. And like the thing is, my notes on this are one page, but my notes on hating Jay Leno are two pages, which I think is pretty appropriate because there's very little good to say about Collision Course. And eventually I stopped writing down racist shit that the screenwriters decided to put in the movie. Also, similar to your everyday common racist, they run out of things and then the characters just, like a broken record, go back through uh, calling characters. I'm going to use racial terms here. Sorry. Like, this is this is the, the movie's terminology. Jap, Tojo, they make Godzilla jokes. They make, uh, they make kamikaze jokes and they just do it over and over again. The one of the worst scenes in the movie where first, of course, Jay Leno and Pat Morita are at each other's throats um, before they discover that um, they're both cops and bad in a different way is Jay Leno specifically saying, "I now again, this is the language of the movie. Um, I talk some Jap, Kawasaki, Hyundai, like it's just saying brand names uh, and then Pat Morita is a little bit like, oh, no, I know. And then he says some some other names because he is unfortunately hired specifically to uh, be OK with racism, um, which sucks for Pat Morita in this movie. Um, it's like that level of like comedy is just saying racist shit. And also, let's let's just talk about the racism for a sec. So um, like in again, a very Reagan era stuff. There's two things. The reason that Detroit uh, went under is not because of another country who produced a better product, 
but because of Reagan-era economics. Uh, say what you want about Michael Moore. Roger and me gets at it way better than we're going to get to in this this episode of uh, the Republicans in the 80s basically gutting all of our consumer protection, fair trade stuff, allowing, uh, you know, uh, the capitalist owners of GM and Ford and stuff like that to um, essentially create sweatshops overseas that didn't allow for, you know, workers' rights or um, – uh, union union uh, level wages or anything like that and as uh, you know my grandpa is from like he lived in Detroit he worked at Ford his entire life like the the reason that that Detroit uh, you know had and and Flint and all those other places was a hundred percent because of Americans capitalism and all the shit that we did to make certain people rich while exploding workforces uh, in in other countries. So the fact that, I mean, obviously that was a common thing in the era, but even then, like, even if you say that stuff didn't happen, the idea that another country's cars are made better, more reliable and cheaper because they have better standards. They, they, um, they are, are producing cheaper cars because they don't need to make the CEO like Roger Smith make, you know, $8 billion or whatever the fuck it would be a year. They're, you know, that is, like if you like capitalism, that's how capitalism works. So on every level, the idea that you're just blaming foreigners as opposed to capitalism, which every way around caused the problems in Michigan is just just 100% factually incorrect. And then Jay Leno's specific coming to terms with this is not through any sort of recognition that, A, you shouldn't blame all Japanese for anything or recognition around capitalism or anything like that. I wrote this down. He specifically says, I just blame ourselves for getting fat and letting it happen, which also just feels perfectly at home with the jaywalking stuff we talk about. It's (laughs) actually individual workers' fault for uh, buying too much McDonald's and other capitalist shit where they shoved, you know, terribly, you know, you know, f- uh, food poverty and stuff like that down your throat. And that is the realization that he has in the movie is that Americans got too lazy and that's why we got beat by another country. And so all of that is just not only a historical, but just fucking, I mean, it's infuriating. I shouldn't get so angry with a fucking Jay Leno bomb. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's but, but okay. Like, let me let me jump back a little bit on yeah. that too, because this is this era is actually way more interesting than the movie, right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. My my wife's family is also from Detroit, and you know the sort of sort of families were like they they've all worked in cars. Her grandfather, I think, painted cars on the Ford line for fucking 40 years and then when his her grandmother died last year like she was still collecting a ford pension that kind of thing yeah that like that that runs in in uh my you know my wife's family as well and yeah like it's something that like now they can kind of admit but you know 20 years ago they would have never admitted and like now they can kind of admit it but also with the caveat like but we're doing a lot better now we're working a lot harder now as detroit's population just diminished and diminished and diminished and and flint became a national tragedy that like even like obama failed to in any way deal with and then trump doubly failed to deal with nobody really contended with the fact that they got fucked over 
by big business, by by big, big capitalism and the fact that like that, that a certain set of executives uh, that, you know, they would say like, oh, yeah, those guys back then, they were stupid. They built the cars cheaper. Now we do a better job. But like a certain set of executives essentially uh, helped run their industry into the ground and ruin the good name of American cars. Um, and then to the point where like, I grew up with all Japanese cars because my dad, who was someone who would like read consumer reports and shit, he was like, I'm absolutely not fucking buying a Ford minivan. Like, I don't want yeah, my they're, car they're, to set on fire. Yeah, they're cheaper. Uh, they're safer. They last longer. Like all the things that theoretically for all of these fucking capitalists, it's like, oh, they made a better, more affordable product. So yeah. theoretically, if you are a supporter of capitalism, at the very least, if you're thinking of let the free market decide, well, the free market did decide. Now, why did the free market not decide on the other one is because they didn't like fuel initiatives. So you had to pay, you know, you had to spend more gas and all these other things. But I think the most like heinous part about all this is not only did, you know, famously, you know, Detroit and all the union stuff like corporations never stopped trying to bust and stop unions and ultimately through the support of law changes on a national level – were while they weren't able to bust the Ford unions, they were able to gut it by um, you know moving labor overseas, and uh, the American people that suffered as a result of this were also fed a lie that part of the reason why Ford had no choice again poor corporations just trying to they got to be competitive they got to get their stockholders money they have they they owe it to. You know, as a corporation to make money is that the unions themselves were the cause. Like they had, they just had to keep paying these people money, and they were losing the competitive edge. So uh, it, it it is it is a, the capitalist version of uh, blaming your abuser. Like not only not only did they you know uh, stink job or move jobs overseas. Again, not now. There's anything wrong with having jobs overseas, but a spe- specifically to exploit a labor force in a different country without specific union or consumer protection laws, but then also blamed it on uh, the unions and the idea that people should be able to, you know, get a, get a fair day's work and, you know, own a house and live a middle-class life and have healthcare and a pension and all the other things that like people who are literally working on an assembly line or anywhere else deserve. Like it is a criminal and heinous and uh unfortunately we're still we're still dealing with that fallout today the idea that like unions are bad because of they cause business to move overseas without seeing all the structural shit that supports that so yeah and, and i think that it's important to note that like the a lot of the business was moved to like canada <laughs> yeah like um a lot of the business was not necessarily moved to and some of it was moved to mexico after nafta like a lot yeah. of it was not necessarily moved to japan like japan wasn't picking up our slack necessarily it was that japan was producing a competitor a competitive product and people had especially the older folks had leftover world war Two animosity and that world war ii animosity got to leech into the next generation's bloodstream and this is this is actually a fairly interesting and horrible uh trend in 80s uh 80s action movies specifically 80s action movies um 
that uh, this fear of the Japanese, that this, these Japanese zaibatsus are going to rise and crush us and that we'll be, we'll be, I'm using a term, a term that, you know, was, was common in, in the era, but like we'll be conquered by Tojo just long after Tojo died. Um, and that there was, there was, there was jokes about, Oh, like Godzilla will come in the form of a giant car, right? Like that. That this is that this is. Uh, yeah, this it's is it's definitely like- not specific to Collision Course. I mean, Back to the Future has that joke where, you know, Doc Brown is appalled that like all the good shit is made in Japan in the future. There's uh, the Michael Keaton Ron Howard movie Gung Ho, which is like. Uh, you know, uh, exa- uh, corporations closing up their shops and moving them to Japan and sending Michael Keaton over there to to work with them. And, you know, uh, a bunch of racist observations that like, how are we supposed to k- compete with this? Like, these people don't have families. They, they don't expect to have labor laws. Like, all this kind of stuff that like – was so goddamn common. And there's movies that hint at it. Like, Die Hard hints at this and then steps away from it, which is uh, pretty good for Die Hard's longevity. Um, (laughs) Back to the Future, too. It's just kind of a joke about how things have progressed from the 50s. Yeah, but there's a couple that I think are kind of isolated as key movies in this era as, um, you know, fear of the Japanese movies. And um, Black Rain is one of them and Rising Sun is the other. And I think Rising Sun is fairly centered, uh, you know, uh, uh, identified. I think Rising Sun is fairly identified as a um, horrific uh, racist movie um, that happens to be really well directed. But it's just a horrifically racist movie that, uh, you know, it came from an era where sushi was exotic, right? Like these were these were dumb. These were dumb Americans who just like were so terrified of other cultures that the concept of like, yeah, like maybe we'll go out for sushi tonight. The guy's like, you want to eat raw fish? Like that kind of shit was half the jokes in these 80 movie 80s movies. Well, Rising Sun was 94, but it was based on a Crichton novel from earlier. Yes. And uh, another one that gets weirdly identified, and this is like the only uh, reputation of the movie, is Black Rain. Which I haven't seen. I've seen Black Rain a couple times. It's entirely about Michael Douglas breaking down into his his American sense of imperialism and breaking down his his uh, his racist ideology um, and and acquiescing to his Japanese partner who is played with dignity and respect and like but not in a way that's like um, stereotypical like it's dignity and respect in the way that like this Japanese partner is what a cop should be like he's a he's a respectable average kind of guy and like so there were a ton of movies in this era that that kind of riffed on the idea of japanese ibatsus and japanese dominance of the marketplace and and in a way that's very ugly and i honestly think collision course is uglier than rising sun uh or any of the other ones i've seen even Mm. movies you know like there's there's something very evil about um like 16 candles having like long duck dong and making like a, 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 a cat like casual racism uh, about um, a, 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 a Asian character like that's evil in its own way. But it, as long as we're talking about 
in the realm of action movies and actually being directly threatened by Japanese people that they're going to somehow redo World War II with with imperial with an imperialist sort of um, dominance. Like I think Collision Course is the most racist movie I've seen in this particularly disgusting subgenre. I mean, I'm sure there's more. I haven't seen Gung Ho for a while, but I remember thinking that was some racist uh, shit. But I, I think ultimately what it stems from is a lie that I think is still being told um, in history books. At least when I when I went to elementary school and high school, and I unfortunately I know enough about the way that history books are written to not have too much faith that it's been corrected. But like you know, we we tell ourselves a lot of stories about Japan in World War II in order to feel better about us committing the only atomic genocide uh, that's ever been recorded in history twice. Um, there's so many good stuff that positions the idea of well, we had to do it. Uh, atomic bomb wise is a historical um, and propaganda that we've been fed but all of that propaganda is around the idea of that these that Japanese people were inhuman monsters that could not be beat in, through conventional methods they they would have fought to the last man woman and child um, you know a lot of our history books are highlighting the kamikaze component to everything um and, and, and like the idea when it's when it was more like, well, if you're going to crash into the ocean, why not crash into a ship? Like, um, <laughs> as a lot of things there. But that idea that like, well, we like at the time they were literally so disciplined. They were basically like inhuman robots. It was an island of Terminators and these were our only options. And that same story that we fed ourselves to to uh to help our national guilt or, or or from even letting that national guilt metastasize by stopping it at, at its core was around the idea that they're inhuman robots who uh, c- that we couldn't have beat through conventional means. And so yeah, as, you, you can't possibly reason with them. You can't reason with them. You can't beat them. Um, you know, th- these normal American good old boy soldiers who are just going over there, how could they possibly reason with someone who doesn't even understand the concept of family and is willing to blow up themselves just because their family matters less to them and going home to their wife and kids than than killing a few Americans. We can't win that under, you know, the the terms of warfare as we've def- defined. We we don't have any choice but to do this. And even after we did the one, they couldn't they they're so inhuman. We blew up a whole city with power that no one had ever seen. And they still wouldn't stop. They were unrelenting. They were inhuman monsters. And I think, you know, as Japan's um as their as their militarism was, you know, through through trees and sanctions and everything else went away, and they became successful from an economic and a technology standpoint, like all those same stories and the same racist lies that we told came out. It's just in a different way. Like they were now beating us at capitalism on unfair terms because they didn't care as much about their family and home life and what it meant to be a good, good American. And as such, we were, we were, we were constantly in a situation where we were, uh, could, it's not that we were inferior from a, uh, manufacturing standpoint. It's that in order to compete, we would have to sacrifice our humanity in the same way that uh, Japanese people did. And so, you know, it is just an extension of the same racist lie 
that we've told ourselves since World War II about Japan. Even now, like, as, you know, I, I think um, Japan uh, by, by Western media, it's not like it's still treated as like a, 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 a racist, um, like eye raiser. Like it's, it's not so much that we have the, you know, the economic panic in the same way that we had the military panic, but it is like, most of the American media related stories about Japan are primarily focused on, isn't this fucking all weird? This is so weird. Aren't they a bunch of weirdos? They don't like having sex. They have underwear vending machines. <laughs> like it, it is specifically even stuff like Lost in Translation, a movie I quite like about. It's about to be like, you might as well go to another planet because this is how unrecognizable in the humanity and the type of people that you know. And it's, 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 I think, um, one of the in most insidious racial stereotypes that has been allowed to continue to propagate unfettered, but it's like a it's a direct line from the World War II bullshit that we told everyone. Anyways, this is our goofy Jay Leno episode, and these sort of comedies <laughs> about these buddy comedies are supposed to be about um two different cultures coming together. In a sense, buddy comedies the promise of them is the ultimate American melting pot experience. That's because we're more comfortable with two people of different races committing murder and crimes together uh, than we are of them making love to each other. Which yeah. is why, like, the the biracial uh, rom-com should have been the, 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 the creature of this era. That should have been the, the dominant force of this era. This idea that the world is changing, that people are hanging out with people that don't necessarily look like them. We have to get comfortable with that. And the fact that, like, biracial sitcoms are still not a typical thing. Like, even yeah. the even the um, <sighs> Lovebirds, the Camille Nanjiani comedy, that was, like, straight to Netflix... It was kind of an indie effort. It took a lot of work to get it done and involves two people of color uh, as opposed to neither neither of them is, is a white person. That's what we should be on by the 1980s, right? Is like, let's completely get over like all racial apprehensions and just have a movie where two beautiful people of different races kiss. But instead, we're, we're forced to kind of deal with movies where it's uh, two people of two different races uh, commit crimes um supposedly solve crimes together um and and then they go their separate ways typically and this is like in my this is almost like in my long running um <laughs> thesis about why lethal weapon rules um <laughs> despite mel gibson um and despite the fact that it's a, a clearly like a cop movie is that that's a movie about their two their their differences getting solved they solve their differences actually pretty quickly the differences are almost never about race because the script wasn't written to that. I yeah. actually think they're, they're – we talked about this. They're not about race. They are about how both of them approach as cop work, um, which, is its own, which is its own thing to discuss. But it pairs them as like a, a melting pot of like but, – but there's not a point in the movie where Mel Gibson, who by the way – famous racist <laughs> says something like well you don't know what it's like because you're a black man or Murtaugh's like well you're you're fine to put your life on the line because you like that that second one actually sounds more interesting but like it's not about it's about like maturity and youth like 
you know, some a cop who is a single and has nothing to live for, and and it, it does it in a melting pot environment that I think one thing that this is is getting off into a little bit of a tangent, but like I think one reason why happy endings got some platitudes around its gay character is that it was the first maybe not the first but one of the first tv shows where the the quote-unquote gay characters persona wasn't about being gay he just happened to be one of the friends who was gay and he was he had the same you know uh you know he he was almost anti-stereotypical uh, from what a lot of sitcoms have, he didn't dress well. He was a slob. He he was yeah. he did he like couldn't keep a job. Like he was the he was they flipped a lot of the traits that were supposed to go on the gay character in Happy Endings and put it on. He he was he was just a person who was attracted to the same sex. And otherwise, he was just another one of the sitcom characters. Now, there's <laughs> they put a lot of the gay characters into a married black guy, which just made that show more interesting, right? Yeah, and and so like I'm sure there's a lot of very thoughtful criticisms that I haven't read or seen, and I I don't that sounds dismissive. I and Adam Pally's a straight guy. Yeah, I mean that's there's criticism there. It still is mostly like white friends and stuff like that with like. A, an element of tokenism right um so there's definitely criticisms to be leveled on it but it, it is interesting to know that like that's 2008 right that that show premieres and it's like oh we've never seen a like th- there is some progressive and progress being made at least from the, the the aspect of pop culture by not feeling to have a um a gay character who is defined by uh, stereotypical um gay personality traits um or like the fact that he is gay being what his character is about in the same way that like i really we i really like the movie love simon i heard from a lot of um lgbtq plus like uh a plus friends that um like it was a good movie it was nice to see that like generic john hughes romance the movie, though, at its core, still has this other element that makes it different than all the other, you know, uh, high school teen dramas, which is like the character has to hide that he's gay. He has to pretend to be straight. He has to lie to his parents. And it has to have all these coming out moments as these big things done in a teenage comedy. And the fact that, like, in 2016 or 17 or 18 or whenever that movie came out, that, like, this is this is the best example of this type of movie, but it still has to be about the fact that uh, what a big deal it is to be gay is is depressing. And, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. So I do get like the lethal weapons or like movies that still do it better than, say, this version of of, you know, culture clash, which is more just to like um show that like oh hey a black guy and a white guy can be uh can be not racist uh like yeah. like it, the, the, their relationship cannot be based on like um how am i supposed to be a cop with you when you want to wear low rider je- like some shit like <laughs> that right like that's progressive for 87 while still being uh so far behind the times it's left yeah and i the obama era um created an an interesting conflict within a lot of us which is like is it better to be 
post-racial, uh, post-gender, or is it better to admit that the, the conflict still exists, right? Like, because a lot of our trans friends have been saying, like, fuck, I just want a rom-com where the lady is a trans lady and there's a pretty lady and they kiss and they don't spend the whole fucking movie talking about how hard it was for her to come out to her mom. <laughs> like, like, well, that was happiest season, right? There's also movies where it feels like tokenism because they don't actually embrace the experience of that person or they seemingly whitewash the experience of that person by making it not a central point of conflict. But that's like the happiest season criticism correctly, I think, from this year, where it's like, oh, cool, a Hallmark Christmas movie featuring a lesbian couple. Oh, but it's still about the fact that no one knows she's a lesbian. That's a shame. She has to hide and she has to like, like, I'm not that that's not a real thing that people unfortunately still go through on a daily basis in this country. But like, it's almost like, well, we, you know, we can't get to the romance stuff without addressing the elephant in the room which is some people are homophobic monsters <laughs> like it's uh, I, I get it and again I, I speaking as a like a you know a cis white straight man like um, you know it is it is it is weird that like not weird but um, it is unfortunate that, that it still seems like so much quote unquote mainstream uh, uh, movies and TV that's based around like biracial couples or uh, you know same sex or different gendered couples and stuff like that is based on like getting my buy-in <laughs> assuming that I'm not going to be on board with it all the way um, like it still comes from that perspective of like look we know that you can't just I don't know turn 15 and tell your parents you're going on a date with someone of the same gender <laughs> so we're gonna get there. We're they're gonna have a good homecoming dance, but like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna appeal to you, the straight white man, that we know it's a big deal, and we're gonna get you there. And um, that that fucking sucks. And that uh, I can't uh, that well, I don't have to like uh, I don't have to say like I can't imagine. I know for a fact from from uh, friends that um, and and writers that I respect. And read that, like, how fucking much that sucks, but it's also a little bit of, like, it's still better than what we've had in the past while still being kind of unacceptable. Um, so, yeah, this movie this movie sucks. Uh, I have two more things to say, Peter, and then I, I just say we wrap this up. And I, and I do... I do think that we are definitely a parody of ourselves in that we chose this because it'd be funny to fucking do the Jay Leno impression and then talked about uh <laughs> talked about like the the long-standing racism directed towards uh Japanese people in this country and and the way racism and c culture clashes and gender and racial clashes are depicted in movies so at the very least I do feel I do think that for our 250 we did a typical we love to watch episode where we start on the premise that we're goofy and then talk about issues that unfortunately uh we're not fortunately unfortunately that we have no personal stake in but our allies towards yeah um let me talk about one thing i really liked about the movie and that's direct it's directed by lewis teague 
Um, and Louis Teague directed Cujo. So the first half of Cujo isn't very good, but the second half oh, of Jesus Cujo Christ. is... Do you want to just cover Cujo? You keep talking about Cujo. Yeah, the, the second half of Cujo is amazing. It's as good yeah. as you've heard. Like, it's 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 totally... From you. You've told me the second half it's is good. It's so fucking good. But the first half is kind of bad. Um, but yeah, that's something nice I could say about Collision Course is the um, Cujo. But, but you said that the directing is bad here because they didn't have any... Editing or post-production. Yeah, but it made me think of Cujo, which is really good. <laughs> well, the back half, from, from what I've heard from people I trust. Yeah. Um, so, you, can I – Can I? oh, I need to talk about something that we – I mentioned – I said I wasn't going to talk about – I wasn't going to talk about at all. But, like, before we move on from, you know, we spent a very long time talking about how racist this movie is. But, like, <laughs> uh, the movie the does culture. this thing where it takes its shitty – keyboard 80s keyboard score and then whenever pat marita does a japanese <laughs> oh, thing they hit the gong button on the fucking keyboard look i i rarely would say this and actually like i'm just going through a record in my head right now i don't think i've ever said that i do think the person that did the score should be tried for war crimes <laughs> i think yeah i sent sent at least to the hague it it is yeah. besides the weird like I'm going to uh I'm going to plop over this murder with joyful music. It's also yeah, it's like, oh, is Pat Marino on screen? Well, he's having to buy this gong. I'm sure P- the PG the 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 8 to 13 year olds we're targeting this movie for will get a kick out of this. <laughs> Don't you get it? He's a fish out of water and isn't it so weird that he happened to be from a different country? <laughs> it is funny that like it's Jay Leno and Pat Morita and 100% Pat Morita was the draw for the audience they were going for based on the rating. Rating, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, because like, oh yeah, the mentor from the Karate Kid. I'd love to see that movie. No one's, oh, I, no like twelve year old is like, oh, the sometimes guest host of the Tonight Shows in a movie. No, the the, the kids were they were they were Ron Howard heads, and they were like, I want to see what uh, Mr. Takahashi is for is up to uh, from my favorite show. Do you Happy hold Days. on? Do you think that Ron Howard directed Karate Kid? He directed the show Happy Days every last episode. Do you know who's supposed to direct this movie? Ronald Howard. Because he directed Grand Theft Auto? Bob Clark. Wow. Um, I mean, it certainly would have been better. But, I mean, it's still it's still so hard. Uh, Jay Leno. It is funny that Pat Morito has... Not funny. It's probably right based on the fame at their time. Pat Morito, Morita has first billing over Mr. Leno. This is also the last movie that uh, Jay Leno starred in where he didn't... Uh, well, it's the only movie that he starred in. It's the last movie that he was in where he didn't play himself. Minus, like, a couple cameo characters with names like Bill. But essentially, uh, while he he literally refused to leave our TV screen, he thankfully got off of our movie screen essentially forever after this. Two things I want to mention. So the the way that they handled the culture class makes no goddamn sense because the the, the joke here is that Pat Morita doesn't understand any american metaphors or phrases and that jay leno hates pat morita and any time that pat morita doesn't understand everything which sometimes is at a rate of like two to three expressions per minute jay leno gives a incredibly sincere explanation of what that phrase is even if they're like in the middle of getting beat they're the shit beat out of them at a bar and I don't understand 
the joke. It's never funny. It doesn't go on long enough that it's even a a bit. It just happens a few times. It makes no sense for Jay Leno's character. It makes no sense why Pat Morita, while he's getting a pool cue smashed over his head, is uh, what does save a few bucks mean? Jay Leno's like, oh, well, in America, bucks are dollars. And so sometimes, like, it is, uh, that's that's their, like, culture clash comedy bit. And it is, like, so barely a comedy bit that I don't even think it qualifies as, like, Tim, er- Tim and Eric anti-comedy. It is perplexing. I, I don't understand it, Peter. Like, I don't I don't get it at all. Yes, because they're trying to make it, uh, they're trying to endear Jay Leno to uh, Pat Morita, but in a way that's so unsuccessful when at the end of the movie, they, like, congratulate each other for getting the car part back or whatever. Because um, that's what the movie's about. Uh, yeah, they need the car part. They need to get the car Did part Did you back. know Jay Leno's in a movie about cars? Interesting fun fact that we told two and a half hours into this episode. Uh, and also, yeah. this is him trying to shore up his working class bona fides, right? Like this is this is this is him trying to be like, I'm just your everyday cop, just your everyday cop. Love to drive cars. At the beginning of the movie, he has some sort of fucking like fancy ass oh sports God. car that he drives for two minutes, and then I don't think he drives again. I think it gets blown up, and then he gets pulled over by like beat cops, who then he's like. He, like, sexually harasses the woman. <laughs> but it works, because who could resist? Who could resist that? The wilds fucking stupid face. Um, the last thing I'll say is the two funniest parts of this movie are accidental. That is that Ernie Hudson's in this movie. He is Why? I forgot Ernie Hudson's in this movie. <laughs> I know. He's Ernie in Hudson got done dirty, because he was in, like, this, which could have been, he could have been a great buddy cop. Uh, you know, uh, a foil. He could have been a great, a uh, great Murtaugh. Uh, and then also he was in fucking Congo, and he was supposed to play like a black Indiana Jones in that, and they completely flubbed that too. Yeah, I can't believe that consistently and repeatedly Hollywood tr- treated a, a great actor of color poorly. Um, I mean, that's the <laughs> Ghostbusters. That's, that's the Ghostbusters story for him as well. The funniest part about this movie is that, um, related to him, who's in it for five minutes, is that his character's name is Winston, which is his Ghostbusters character's name, which is like, it's fine, but it also feels like it's not a joke. It's not a reference in the movie. It feels like once they cast Ernie Hudson, it's probably a good idea to change his name because the opening scene in the movie is a kid saying like, Winston, Winston. It's like... Okay, well, this this comes out a few years after. This comes out the same year as Ghostbusters too. You don't think it's confusing to, to <laughs> like he had action figures. Like his his character in Ghostbusters had action figures named Winston Zeddemore. Like it's it's very confusing. Like you wouldn't have another Michael J. Fox movie where his name is Marty. Like it doesn't make any. Oh, this is a different Doc Brown, but he's in Suburban Commando for some reason. Um. It's Christopher Lloyd with Hulk Hogan. Anyways, uh, and then the other accidental funny thing that's just an accident of history, the fake English name that Pat Morita uses is Dwayne Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, the two two funniest parts of this movie are just related to the naming of characters that one is just funny just from a, why would you do that? Like, 
Like, I refuse to change one line of this script, including a character's name, no matter who's cast. And then two, that uh, the fake English name that uh, Pat Morita uses is, is The Rock's name. That's, that's, that's it. Those are, the, those are the two funny parts of this movie. Uh, there's one part that I, I genuinely like. Uh, I like Tom Noonan and Chris Sarandon, although I'm unsure if Chris Sarandon is doing brownface. I don't know. I really don't want to think about it. I think he's just... I Again, I don't know. He's he's Greek. I like to think um, Chris Sarandon just got a good tan. Yeah. I mean, let's just say, like, question mark if they they gave Chris Sarandon brown face. I couldn't find anything. I would have to watch the movie a second time to really give you any evidence, and we all know that's not happening. No. I mean, it, it does look like it, but... Yeah. I like that Tom Noonan is in the movie. Casting Tom Noonan as a creepy uh, sidekick was something that should have happened in a better movie. Yeah, and he's good, too, because he's still soft-spoken, Tom Noonan, while he's, like, hitting people's house with bazookas and being, like, a fake, what do you call it, like, press secretary for the car company? Yeah, and, like, okay, so, like, Michael Mann knew how to use Tom Noonan, which involves a little bit of extra care in the sound mixing. Um, because Tom Noonan's voice can be easily lost sometimes when, when he's doing, uh, his yeah, cause he's so intimidating, life. but he's so like f- the, the reason why he's so good in those, he's so soft spoken. Yeah. And like, uh, Michael Mann knew exactly what to do with Tom Noonan, but like this director, like you can hear Tom Noonan giving lines and I like backed up a few times to hear him. And like, it, it's not, it's not the TV's fault. The fucking sound mixer was like, eh, we're just going to make that line disappear. <laughs> uh, you need to hear more. Uh, something I did like, and this is not really, the movie doesn't really get credit for this, but one of my favorite things in any crime movie is when uh, there's a moment where uh, the hero is depending on the criminals taking the life of one of their compatriots into effect in order to enact their plan. So in this case, Jay Leno taking one <laughs> of the, the, you know, bad guys hostage and saying, you know, Oh yeah. Break off. Your friend's going to get it. Um, and then all of them just kind of look, I never touched my hostage. And then shoot the guy. I love yeah. that shit in any movie where like there's just absolutely no honor among fe- thieves like these guys are just <laughs> fucking assholes I, like the best version is in Watchmen right like the best version of Watchmen where they like they like actually convince uh, the guy to chop off his friend's hands for seemingly no reason I mean in keeping with this movie's overt racism it is a gang of 30 white guys and a black guy and the person that they shoot is the one black guy in the evil game. Oh absolutely. And I'm not saying uh, the movie pulls it off well. I'm just saying that particular trope is a pretty good trope. It's a, it's a good trope. Uh yeah, I don't I don't have anything else to say about this movie except that I think oh, Wait, Pat Marina drop kicks into the windshield to kill Chris Sarandon. That's good. That's good. There's, there's one I think more. It, I think they imply he crushes his head so hard that the car explodes. <laughs> I don't. I don't like that his catchphrase is "karate this" though. I feel like that is. <laughs> and there's a lot of harakiri harakiri jokes, which is uh, you know, a lot. Well, yeah, because every every time his boss calls him, he he just. One of the the somewhat funny things about this movie is that he, you know, he has a chief that hates him too, much like Jay Leno, 
who also, by the way, Jay Leno throws his badge on the table but says that he bought his gun with his own money. And so he's going to keep it. She's like, I, I don't know about that. And then that's it. So uh, what a fucking dumb, dumb version of that. But anyways, uh, one of the mildly funny jokes is that Pat Morita also has a chief who thinks he's a, a, a wild card. And he calls to yell at him. And then he's always in the room with the with the chief of the tr- Detroit police. And because the chief yells in Japanese, Pat Morita just nods with a smile on his face while this guy's telling him like this is where the this part's not so funny where he's like you you've you know Japanese like inhuman stereotypes like uh, you've disgraced your family you should kill yourself all that kind of stuff the part that is funny is him just going yeah no he's on board like he keeps smiling and nodding and then translating that. Uh, he thinks I should be a part of this. <laughs> like he's kind of un unfazed by it. And also in a situation where, because no one else speaks the language, he's able to pretend that his chief is fully supportive of the actions that he's taking. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a little taste of like Pat Morita is actually like a gifted comedic actor. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's, he's like good a in, in a taste. movie that like, yeah, that basically is like, Hey, so you, we're going to be racist towards you for a movie, but top billing, uh, which I don't blame Pat Morita. Cause I mean, unfortunately one of the, one of the things about being a person of color in the uh, film industry is that uh, you have to uh, deal with uh, a bunch of racist shit as part of that, because it's what the audience wants. Anyways, I, I don't have any final thoughts. I guess what I'll say, Peter, my final thought is uh, this movie does, <laughs> It should, it should be called Collision Course, but Course with an A. <laughs> it's like sandpaper on your eyes. Uh, That's a good Norm Macdonald on Conan joke, and I didn't even write that beforehand. I think that this movie would actually be, you know, the you know the, the movie L.A. plays itself? Uh, sure. Normally it's called Los Angeles plays itself. I bet the director of Los Angeles plays itself would fucking hate that you called it L.A. plays itself, but go ahead. Well, I did it. That guy has a lot of thoughts about Los Uh, Angeles. uh, He can come kick my ass. I'll have at least two and a half hours to prepare. Um, This movie is accidentally like a record of what Detroit looked like over 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I like like that, too. Anytime I watch one of these movies, it does have a little bit of like, oh, yeah, this movie sucks, but it's cool. That's what the Seneca look like at the time or whatever but this was in an era where it was cheaper to just go shoot in major american cities than it was to shoot in a back lot right so yep. it's kind of cool yeah i like that part i'll just say that like uh as a, as a perfect i said this already it is a perfect we love to watch 250th episode where we pick a joke episode and then get caught into uh all the <laughs> all the racist things that made us angry all the misogynistic things that made us angry like so i think you know this is actually weirdly perfect in that realm and uh we didn't know that going into the movie although we did have an idea because there's a great everything is terrible three minute version of this movie that if you're interested you should watch but it also just has all the racist shit that jay leno says uh which i think is is a good if you want to get a sense of this movie that'll do it uh but um I think, you know, one thing, if I'm going to, again, go right up our own ass for our 250th episode, I think one thing that Peter and I have wanted to always do in the show is to always be 
honest about the type of movies that we're we're talking about and whether those are movies that we love that are problematic or movies that we love that aren't or movies that we hate that have some some interesting things to talk about we want to be honest so yeah this started as like uh you know when we did our air bud or our monster trucks episode there wasn't there wasn't i think this much half to talk about this was supposed to be a little bit of a fucking joke episode while recognizing there was some racist shit and hopefully we had a little bit of fun mocking jay leno but ultimately like we are not good at putting on a show besides what what we feel like is honest for us reacting to a movie. And in this movie especially, even though, again, a lot to, lot to mock Jay Leno for and this movie for being a bad movie, there's a lot in this movie that is fucking just infuriating. And also, unfortunately... It's 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 a it's a movie that doesn't have any cultural cachet unless you probably watched it on HBO at in the nineties at like nine in the morning, but it is a movie that uh, stri- by stripping away all of the quote unquote good stuff of movies and problematic movies that we like, but unfortunately, like in this era, kind of like I don't want to say unfortunately we turn a blind eye to, but we're like, well, yeah, this is this is a good movie. It sucks there's all this racist shit in there. I think this is a movie that kind of strips away, like, what if it's only racist shit and there's nothing really worth praising? And um, and that's ultimately what this movie ended up being. We had never seen it before. Uh, it, it kind of makes it in some ways a bummer to talk about. But, but um, I think hopefully, like, why you're tuning into this show, I guess, like, we, we, we I think in good conscience – and this isn't a performative. This isn't like something we do for the show. I think Peter and I are the type of people that watch this and what started as a fun, goofy, bad movie that we were excited to talk about got like heavier and heavier as we went through. And ultimately, that's probably why the the last hour hasn't been all that fun for you as a listener. Um, and uh, at the very least, I guess what I would say is that while this definitely isn't as fun as our Airbud or our Monster Trucks are getting even with that episode – you know, if if you're if you're listening to this, if you made it three hours or whatever this edit comes down to on our fucking collision course episode, um, and you've stayed engaged throughout all of our pontificating about uh, the things that are bo- that that ultimately end us bothering us about this movie, uh, I guess the only thing I can say is thank you. Like, uh, thank you for. Uh, enjoying what we're doing because the one thing that we found out very early is uh, we don't have podcast personas. Uh, sure, we sometimes talk a little louder and put more emphasis on words and try to make this an listenable and enjoyable experience for you as the audience. But we're not good at sticking to kind of a pre-idea of a format or what we want to talk about if the movie ultimately disrupts that for good. And in this case, for for ill. So, thank you for sticking uh, through this episode with us. Uh, thank you for uh, listening to somewhere between uh, one and 250 episodes of We Love to Watch. And um, I think, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be 250 plus more. Because we, we really do enjoy doing this and talking to all of you and our guests. And everyone that listens. And I think as we found out from Peter and I talking for an hour and a half about our lives, 
uh, before we started recording. Uh, we also really like talking to each other. So thank you, Peter, for joining yeah, me for 250 yeah. of these motherfuckers. I think you said it perfectly, Aaron. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to close out 250. And also, this is a, <laughs> this is. Uh, I think uh, at first I felt a little funny that we were. Th- this wasn't just a big silly episode, and then I realized like there's no other way for us to cover this <laughs> bullshit. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So uh, thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. And uh, we have a lot more fun stuff this month. We're going to continue down our Leone path. Yeah, I believe next week is Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So that's that's a big one. That's yeah, good that'll one. be that. Uh, we'll probably talk about Good, and Bad, the Ugly quite a bit in the Good, and Bad, the Ugly episode. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> I don't think we'll be talking about like, I don't know, Clint Eastwood at that RNC or whatever. <laughs> Uh, I do. So I, I've saved it for the good, the bad, and the ugly episode, but I do have a lot to talk about, about the Mad TV Saturday Night Live Wars of the late 90s. So I'm going to bring it there. It's unrelated, but I think it does build off this episode quite nicely. You know, it's unrelated, um, but, um, you want to talk about it. So I want to talk about it. And that's my truth. And as we, we shared, so we'll either do good, bad, and the ugly, or we're going to solve Natalie Wood's murder. Good night. Good night. Thanks.